Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes out there this is an update about politics that's going on in the election i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, this is exactly not that at all this is actually wrestling geeks alliance and i am dane alps and we have another enticing episode for you guys tonight uh we're going to talk about nothing that's going on in the real world right now we're, we're actually going to talk about wrestling like we normally do so of all our past listeners you know that you know what's up and all of our new listeners keep on checking stuff out we talk about wrestling twice a week, usually. We do usually uh, record a show on Thursdays and Saturdays. We try to get the shows out a day or two after we record them. Our first show that we're doing tonight is going to be over AEW and NXT. We're going to talk about the uh, pay-per-view coming out this weekend, uh, Full Gear, which is going to be a lot of fun. But I can't do this alone. I actually have my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, on site in Washington, Christopher, how are you doing, and who are you talking to? Uh, I'm here by myself. I got a beer and some kitties. Uh, <laughs> ready, ready to talk. What do about you some mean wrestling. by kitties? Uh, you know, kittens, cats, felines. I got one to the right of me. She's very angry <laughs> all the time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Live here in Washington, nothing is happening. Uh, actually, live here in Lawrenceville, Georgia, nothing is happening. Well, stuff's happening in Georgia, just not near me. <laughs> nothing to worry about here, folks. We just have nothing going on over here in Georgia. Um, but, yeah, man, it's been a, uh, been a pretty good week. Um, you know, worked wasn't so uh, gut-wrenching like it normally is. And uh, we had some good wrestling. But my mood kind of reflects the wrestling that we're going to talk about. I love Wednesday nights because I think it's the best of uh, both worlds. Uh, I jokingly said this reflecting off of something that Bully Ray said a couple of nights ago, and I kind of still feel like this. I think the best sports entertainment show is on TNT with AEW. And uh, I think the best sports... Uh, Force-based wrestling show, I guess, pro wrestling, would be NXT. And I still think that both of these were kind of, uh, you know, a little more chill. You know, they were dealing with election coverage, so I get it. One was the go-home to a pay-per-view, but for the most part, I thought the wrestling was solid. Um, just, like, not a lot of uh, crazy stuff and uh, some questionable endings, I guess I would uh, probably have to equate it to. But... Um, before we get into all that, how was your how was your week, man? How are you doing? Yeah, I mean, right? it was it was good. I had I was off last week, so you know you have that lag of coming back into work after a full week off. Uh, did a bunch of shows. Did the uh, horror podcast. Did the uh, did a killer uh, the the confession killer podcast with Tia, which was really fun. We went over that and. Outside of that, man, I, I drank a lot of beer and I finished all of the Yakuza games. <laughs> nice. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty much completely caught up on the Yakuza series until 
next week when Year of the Dragon comes out. And I don't know that I will play that because it's a... They made it turn-based combat as opposed to a beat-em-up, which is not really my jam. Those sons of bitches. the hell are you going to do? Well, that's cool. Uh, I've been... um admittedly, especially since we're both fans of the horror, if you will. Um, catching up on horror movies I haven't seen that I've been putting off. Um, I kind of got... I was in a horror basically back in high school, I would say, uh, from 90s, early 2000s. And I kind of got out of it when it was like all shaky cam, and then that trend got over, and it was like all remakes of Japanese horror movies. And uh, Then we also had the uh, time period where it was like, you know... Basically, well, I, I forgot what the hell they call it, uh, but like the violent ones, like Hostel and and and, uh, and those ones. But I, I caught up from a lot of movies this last decade. I want to tell you, Chris, I, I can't believe being a horror fan, I've missed out on all these. But I've seen Sinister, Insidious, uh, both uh, Midsummer and uh, Hereditary. Um, what else did I see? I saw Hush. So The Conjuring, um, you know, and a bunch, obviously, because of Halloween, a bunch of movies I've seen, like, you know, a million times, like Halloween and shit like that. And I know it's not a horror podcast, but I don't really care. We're on air, so screw it. Um, but, yeah, those ones <laughs> especially, uh, that, the director of Hereditary and, um, and Midsommar, uh, I think he's Ari Arid, I believe. I could be completely wrong on that. I'll, I'll look up the uh, the name, but holy it's fuck, Ari he's Ariaster, I believe. Yes, yes. No, you're right. I, I forget who I'm getting confused with, but uh, he's one of my favorite directors to watch now. Like, whatever genre he comes out with, uh, I think I'm very into it. And catching up on a lot of the movies from James Wan to a lot of the great horror guys. We've had a, a resurgence, I would say, in the last 10 years for horror uh, between James, Ron, James Wan, Fetty Alvarez, you know, I don't have any other show to talk about this stuff, so I had to like ask you because I know that you're a fan of horror. Uh, Scott Derrickson, obviously, and you know, Key Peel. Uh, there's a lot of good ones out, man. It's very impressed from some of the stuff I saw. Yeah, I, I, there's with the rise of A24 and Bloomhouse, you almost have the resurgence that you had in the the 80s and 90s where they oversaturated it and then in the 2000s it fell off and you got a bunch of like you were i would just say ultra violent horror movies the saul franchise for instance or um some of like hostile and and some of the eli roth type products where you either went ultra violent or you went full let's remake a pg-13 horror movie in america um stuff like the ring those kind of things and and now it seems like there's more original ideas out there getting a good mixture you're getting some american ghost stories some thriller based stories you get just completely batshit crazy stuff based around the occult like with hereditary and and midsommar um and then you get some really just weird stuff like lighthouse for instance which yeah gets, and gets the witch. labeled yeah, in the witch. So we've had a bunch of really good horror movies over the past ten years, and we and we kind of talked about that on some of the other shows. But I have to agree with you. It, it feels like horror's got a little bit of a resurgence, and and even with things like Michael Myers being revamped in a yeah. way that's not just Halloween H two O or 
or and they're talking about revamping um, Freddy Krueger, or not Freddy Krueger, but Jason soon. So there's it's a lot of good shit coming out. Lots of good stuff to watch. Even things like the, uh, if you're into the TV series, like the Evil Dead series was really good. Um, what was Wolf that Creek? Netflix one? Uh, uh, Hill House. Hill House and, and Bly Manor. We're just getting... I think people are just ready to watch people die again, I guess. I don't, <laughs> we had enough superhero and action films that, that fed that need, and now we're back into, let's just get some good old-fashioned scares. So I have to agree with you. There's been a, Over the past 10 years, there's been a huge resurgence in horror, and it's good to see new fans. And it's really funny to actually talk to fans that were born after the 2000s, because... Like the weird thing is when we grew up, you would go to a video store. You would look at the box art of a movie. You'd pick that out. And most of these were your 80s classics or your B-side horror films. And that's kind of what I grew up on. And to hear the opposite, it, it's it's always a really interesting tale. And I'm like, I can tell some of you people never rented movies from like your local video store <laughs> with, with what your favorite horror movies are. What the fuck's a blockbuster? <laughs> But it is, it's fun to talk about it, and, and I do think that uh, there's a lot of good shit out there that people should go check out. Specifically, like like you said, with Ariastar, I think he's putting out really good stuff. Um, very, maybe not for everyone, because they are no. so disturbing, um, but they're not full-on gore fest like what Eli Roth tends to do. Definitely gory, but not in this, not to the same extent. Gore with reason, I would say. Yeah, Andy Machete is another one, man, with his remake of it. That's a that was great that I did see uh, within the last couple of years. But yeah, I got a little bit out of it, man. And uh, I don't know, I'm 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 very fortunate to kind of jump back on because like with people like you know Key Peel and and Robert Eggers and and Ari Oster, especially Ari, man. Uh, like I said, any movie that 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 he comes out with because of his visual concept, which I know a lot of people won't perceive, but I'm in the film. It's like you know, we got a lot of great stuff in the 80s, don't get me wrong, with John Carpenter and a lot of other directors that that fully went crazy, just showing your cinematic style and just... But, you know, after the Wes Cravens and, and uh, the, the John Carpenters, after a while, I got, got sequel, sequel, sequel heavy, and, and other people were directing um, Poltergeist, another great fucking movie for that, you know, between Toby Hooper and, and Steven Spielberg, but... It's like these ones are intelligent, like the ones of the 70s, but they, you know, it's it's a scope that, I don't know, it's 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 really good to see resurgence, basically. Like, serial killers are scary, spooky monster killers are supernatural or a bit scary because they're unstoppable. You know what scares the shit out of me? And I'm not even someone that's religious, but the devil, for some reason, fucks with my head. So I am surprised I did not have any nightmares, so... Bring that on, horror community. <laughs> Try to give me nightmares, damn it! Because I won't get well, any. Part, part of that plays on the fear that you're not religious, because what if you're wrong? Most you know people not- in... Most, most, most of the movies, there's always the character that's not religious, and that's always the person that gets fucked up the worst. <laughs> if you really think about it. Well, at least, uh, you know, I'm a virgin, so I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about wrestling full circle <laughs> no let's talk about what we're talking about 
Actually, I want to I want to throw going back to the wrestling realm before we get into this whole entire thing. Um, just from hearing everyone talk about it, you know, Jim Cornette, we 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 kind of briefly mentioned it last time, but I just want to ask you if there could be a more perfect match if we could have this in a contained vacuum that I've been obsessing with lately and thinking about. If we could get a seven star rating, if Voltar and Kazuchika Okada were to be in a match together. Because I think, honestly, Chris, that might be the biggest dream match out of all the wrestlers today. I'll say that. More than Kenny and AJ. No, 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 no. Okada and Walter. Holy shit, Walter has been great. I finally did get to watch this, uh, what was it that Jim Cornette called it? A masterpiece? Masterful Mm -hmm. work? One of the best matches he's seen. What wrestling would have been like if they didn't get all goofy, I think is what he he said. Um, Absolutely incredible match. And would I love to see Walter versus Okada? The answer to that is fuck yes. Like, who wouldn't want to see that? It'd be amazing. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think that's any time in the future. Walter's, what, got a three- or five-year deal? And, uh, hey, whatever, he's putting out really great matches in NXT UK, and when he's on NXT, he's putting on really good matches. I would love to see him against someone like an AJ Styles. That would be awesome. Or even Brock Lesnar or Adam Cole. If, you're, if you want to stick to the NXT roster, you have Ciampa, you have Adam Cole, you have... Uh, Killer Cross would be good if Killer can... Keep up with him. <laughs> Damian Priest. Yeah. There's there's some good matches you can have with Walter if he oh. comes back there. Pete Dunn again. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. Well, him and Pete, him and Tyler, and him and Ilya especially. Now I've gone and checked out a bunch of their stuff in progress. These guys have always had good matches, by the way. Like, they, they are very violent towards each other. Obviously, I'm assuming, Chris, they're probably friends or at least are comfortable with each other and respect each other enough. Where I guess they're going into it, they know that they're going to be like, you know, plugging live rounds and fucking hitting each other hard because, my God, dude, especially his face. His lips look so fucking smacked together that his lips look all cut. Just nothing else by the end of it. It it was a phenomenal match. If you haven't seen it, check out Valter versus Dragunov. And all I can say is, man, they got to get him back to NXT. And get him back on TV, yep, and push that guy again because I, it's just unfortunate. I understand the reasoning why, but us trying to convince people to go out of their way to watch a match on NXT UK is not the easiest thing. It's the same thing as telling someone to go watch a match from New Japan, yep. If you're not a huge New Japan uh, fan, right? So it's it's a big ask, but definitely if you're out there listening, you don't watch NXT UK. This is one to watch. It, it was incredible. And yes, they do pop off live shots. <laughs> it's very obvious that these guys go into that match knowing they're going to beat the shit out of each other. Um, incredible. Phenomenal match. One of I, What did I have as the best of the year up until here? Because I think it surpassed it. It really is close to that. It probably was one of the awesome matches in G1. Even Brian Alvarez said that. He thinks this might have been better than anything he saw in the G1 tournament, and that's nothing against all those guys for busting their ass, including incredible wrestlers like Okada and and Kota Ibushi and and so many others. But you know, it was just a very it it, it looked like an actual fight. I completely 
you know, that's the biggest thing for someone that loves the pro wrestling aspect of this stuff. If you can make me forget that I'm watching a wrestling match, a worked pro wrestling match, that's uh, pretty fucking incredible. Um, yeah, that's how, the reason how, why how, my how, comparison with Okada is because I always a lot of the match Okada's and he can take that that believability and completely put it there. I just completely believe it's a fight. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say is how good is the magician, right? When you can, sh- when, when it's so good that you suspend all disbelief and can really just become almost your childhood self and just enjoy wrestling for what it is for that 15 to 20 minutes, that's what makes a great match to me. Yep. And this was one of those. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it was incredible. Hey, it was better than a lot of the UFC fights I've watched recently, and that shit is legitimately real. It might have been more violent, too, than some of them. <laughs> um, yeah, good stuff all around. If you guys want to check it out, I would definitely check out. You guys can find it if you go to the WWE app and you go to the most recent and just go over. They might have a new episode out from last night's one, but the week before that, Ilya Dragunov versus Walter for the UK title. Good stuff. And even though we don't have him in Okada, I did find an awesome match that they had recorded of Walter a couple of years ago going against um, Ishii. So that was fucking violent and fun and hard hitting too. It sucks. I hope that Walter, if he doesn't stay at UK, like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of this is that he's hoping that he gets a European developmental eventually, or he wants to be no matter what kind of a teacher eventually. God, but the concept of him going to new Japan and having matches with Suzuki or Okada in the next couple of years. Fuck. But NXT also, man. Or the main roster. Alistair Black would be an awesome person to see him go against. Uh, we didn't see him in Keith Lee, I don't think. You know, a lot of stuff for Walter. Very impressed. He is a badass, man. I mean, Vader meets, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Kento Kobashi meets... You know, there's a little bit of Andre in there, you know, a little bit of Arne Anderson, I feel like. He's a badass fighter. He's who Stan Hansen would have wanted to fight, I think, in the early 80s. Um, or to 90s, actually. <laughs> he would have loved to have a fucking fight with him. That would have been fucking incredible, except Stan can't see, so... <laughs> fucking... Sorry, Stan. Had to take the joke. Uh, no, all, all joking aside, uh, there is one thing I wanted to talk about before we got too into these reviews, which is for the Super J1 Cup, Chris Bay from Impact is announced as a participant and listed as being from Impact. And there's also going to be some Ring of Honor people there, which means New Japan, with this tournament being in America, has seemingly opened up a little bit of a floodgate. And we've talked about this. Um, I just heard this before, right before we came on the podcast. So sorry for dropping it on you, but what are your thoughts about that? Ooh, that makes me happy, man. I really want the wrestling community, all these guys, whether it be a Billy Corgan, whoever's in charge, obviously over in New Japan. Um, you know, uh, Don Callis, I think would make sense with that connection with Impact, but Scott Demore, obviously with Impact. Um, Whoever is in charge of Ring of Honor, I know. I think it's Sinclair, obviously broadcasting, is in charge of Corp Bauer with MLW. 
and Tony Khan with AEW. I really would love all these companies, and, and even Conan with uh, AAA also. You know, he's not an owner, but he makes a lot of decisions over there. I guess you could say Gato for, for New Japan too. But basically what I'm trying to say is these are all po- popular organizations. Uh, there's more future proof that we're saying, all right, fuck WWE. We're not trying to like maybe even put them out of business per se, but we have all a lot of popularity and a lot of steam from each organization. Why don't we fucking just work together kind of like what the NWA was beforehand? But it's a, a bit different, obviously, in, in concept. It's now about popular companies through television and streaming uh, compared to territories, and uh, you know, per se. But similar concept. You know, I love eventually to see a picture of a lot of these guys all together in some type of business meeting or dinner um, just conversing. Maybe we can get talent swaps. I mean, I know this is the biggest way you could perceive this concept, and I, I'm thinking really big. And maybe I should like take a couple steps back, so I don't. I apologize for getting that way. But New Japan was a big entity to think that you know there's not a possibility for stuff to happen outside of them with other companies, American companies, because they were trying to make their big step over here. But now it seems like you know you're mending a a, a bad relationship with Impact. You've already had a sh- uh, relationship with Ring of Honor. You have champions in your division in AEW. It makes a lot of sense to be able to kind of say, fuck it, let's work together and make outside of WWE wrestling, pro wrestling, more prominent. Um, I think that would be awesome, even if this is, like I said, people mending situations and small things between each company. I hope that in the next, like, I don't know, eight years, we can equate that to people participating and helping each other out very similar to what NWA and uh, AEW are doing right now. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing is that you have wrestlers on NWA and AEW. You have them showing the AAA title on AEW. You have Chris Bay being part of this Super J Cup. Um, and then you have EC3 and Ring of Honor. So lots of talent trading that we haven't seen in a long time. The most interesting being New Japan actively promoting that this person is from Impact. Um, and, and putting that out there because part of the reason their TV deal was canceled or it was not renewed from what I recall is the refusal of trade of talent. Now, yep. if this, if this leads to them, which this is all speculation, cause like I said, I heard this right before coming on the podcast that is announced though. He is going to be in the super Jacob. So that that's official. That part is official, but the rest of this is all speculation, um, for the listeners out there, but if the speculation is that maybe this equates to trading talent, that could mean that new Japan gets a show back on in the the United States, because that was the one holdout for access TV. If I recall during that buyout um, from Mark Cuban and what that contract looked like. What I want to know, you know, from all this, I, do you think that because of the pandemic that that is the main spark? Like, do you think this would have gone in this direction without the pandemic kind of depleting a lot of people, including AEW, who obviously is the next big American company outside WWE, but it's it's a very different level um, due to how WWE has put themselves in the American market for a long time. They're They're like Coca-Cola. 
as as far as an iconic style concept. But do you think that the pandemic has actually caused these other companies to kind of have to rely off other people? And maybe AEW and New Japan's kind of helping those companies out, you know, in in certain ways. And this will kind of change things. But also, do you think that would have happened if it wasn't for things getting bad in the wrestling industry in general because of the pandemic? With New Japan, I think it might have happened regardless because they lost their TV spot in America. So I never thought the door was completely closed there. Whether they decided to work fully with Ring of Honor to get a TV slot on Sinclair or whether they finally decided to trade talent with Impact, I more so thought that they would utilize AEW just because it's the most obvious launching spot because of the talent that's in AEW. But all that being said, uh, the pandemic definitely has to play into it. I mean, we just now got Ring of Honor starting back. Uh, Impact started back, you know, a while back, but they're not what Impact used to be to the same extent. Ring of Honor's got their own cool direction with the Pride Tournament. Um, But, you know, that's another thing they're going to have to rebuild. They lost the direction of where they were going with Marty Scroll. Marty Scroll was taking over the book there, right? (laughs) So whatever they thought was happening was happening. And then NWA has nothing right now outside of the 10 pounds of gold and running indie shows. So it's very interesting. And and I think the pandemic is making some of the smaller companies kind of group together and say, Hey, let's see if we can fight our way out of this. I mean, there's a lot of money lost. If you look at new Japan and where they were last year and what their, what they assumed their numbers would be this year, it, it cost their president to get fired. Right. So that's a good point. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh you know that's that's something to keep in mind so i think the gates are open to see how much money can be made and with new japan specifically they're still wanting to get a foothold in america and i don't know that impacts the way to do it but it's definitely a way to at least get your main product on tv if you want to do the talent trade because like i said that was the one holdout Oh man, that, that that's a that's it. So intrigues me because, for the faults, I'll admit that I think that AEW has in some rights. It's still one of my favorite wrestling products on television, and, and it seems like I'm just saying completely fantasy booking, but it seems like the direction they might be going is that Kenny's going to beat Adam Cole, whether he becomes heel in some regard or not, which. You know, they kind of flip-flop their concept of what a heel and a baby face is, but whatever. Um, I'm just saying, if Kenny were to win that, and then that night, all of a sudden, you hear, bum, 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 you know, and Okada's music hits, and he basically calls out Kenny and said that, you know, they're not finished, I will probably lose all my facial hair. It will just fall off my face in complete shock, so... If, if stuff like that can eventually happen, Chris, then, you know, I'm com- committed and completely fine with the way things are going, whether pandemic or not. I will go back to what I said a year and a half ago, which is WWE should have worked out something with New Japan and yep. snuck in. I know that that's like seems so far fetched, but uh, I don't know. Money talks, bullshit walks. You could have gave them a, a slot, at least on your network. 
you could have maybe given them a couple matches on your show. I, I don't know if New Japan would have wanted to do that, but the, their primary worry should be those big matches with Tanahashi and Okada coming over and making these super events. Specifically more so for NXT than the main products, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I would also lose all of my facial hair. <laughs> if, if Okada shows up at... Uh, I guess it would be what is the all in is the big one or something. It would be incredible. Fans want to see this. I mean, the fans that follow the young bucks and, 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 you know, the elite in general, like even if it's something as little as Anderson and gallows versus the young bucks, I think people want to see that. Right. I mean, if you followed these guys through Japan and that's the reason why you're their fans. And a lot of that did translate back to America. Um, yeah, there's still a market there for that. I mean, hell, they were the Young Bucks were one of the best-selling T-shirts. Young Bucks and Kenny Omega were the best-selling T-shirts in all of America, without being on any American television. So there's room yeah. for them to make a big impact and draw fans and pull that fan base back. The problem is when you watch them in New Japan, their matches in America are not New Japan matches. This is a chance where you can mesh those two things together and bring intrigue back to the product. It just makes sense at some point. Even if even if it's something like Impact, where you bring in Gorillas of Destiny versus Anderson and Gallows. You know, that there's things you can do there as well. Yeah. But let's be honest, I mean, we want to see Motor City Machine Guns also fucking tear some shit up in fucking AW as well. Or New Japan for that matter. Um <laughs> Yeah, or the yes. North. Yes. If, uh, well, the North specifically, I would, being that they're doing this uh, this thing with Chris Bay, the North is a prime, primed up for a New Japan tour, in my opinion. I think that's a great tag team they could bring in and freshen up that roster a little bit if they're just going to do yeah. a WCW kind of go out there for three months, come back. That would be incredible for New Japan. I, I, I think it kind of sucks for uh, Impact because I don't know what they would get back for that. But uh, the North's phenomenal, and would like having matches with Evil and Sonata and the uh, Gorillas of Destiny and all those cats. There's that would help their tag division immensely, which we've talked about in the past is not the strongest at the moment. You can do some tradesies. I mean, Ishimori made his name over at Impact or, uh, well, shit. I mean, I wasn't going to say him, but now that their names are very similar, Ishii, let him go over and fucking destroy some motherfuckers at Impact. That'd be fun. But yeah, this is all a good thing. One thing before we go uh, into the show, because you mentioned New Japan and WWE should be having a relationship, I thought that I should mention the story that's been going around about the apparent pictures that a stooge took in WWE of uh, the person that's watching the monitors. The one person, by the way, who I'm surprised doesn't have a seizure from doing this, if this is true. Um, watching the monitors, what to take off if you see it, basically, immediately. Now, obviously, there were certain things like Chris Benoit and other companies like AEW, NXT, and, or not NXT, I'm sorry, AEW, Impact, New Japan, um, but there was also individuals. 
Specifically, the Young Bucks, who are making money now off of t-shirts with this shit, which I think is fucking hilarious. Um, there was uh, Kenny Omega. There was Ryback, obviously, because of all of his wonderful complaining. Um, CM Punk. Uh, Jim Cornette, who was, you know, he said that he was honored to be on that list. And uh, he told his fans that if they can get a picture of him, um, you know, actually, if they can get like a picture of Cornette on the Thunderdome, because that's what we're talking about. If I didn't mention that, I apologize. Uh, the images that you see in the background, if you see any of these, get rid of them. Uh, if, if Jim Cornette comes on the Thunderdome, he'll send him a, f- a free T-shirt. And if you can get especially there's pictures of him and CM Punk. But if you can like mock up a picture of him and CM Punk hugging each other uh, and get that in a picture that he'll send an autograph picture and a free T-shirt. And if someone can somehow at the inauguration of Biden, this is what he said, uh, have a picture of him with the thank you, fuck you, buy his T-shirt in the crowd that he will send him a thousand dollars. So that's very, very generous of Jim Cornette. (laughs) So the other thing is about the the way they're banning people is they're banned by email. They're not banned by IP, as far as I can, as oh far as I God. know right now. So <sighs> for those out there that may have been banned off of this who want to get in on this competition, try creating a new email address and see if you can get in there. I would also say, why waste your time if you're not a WWE fan watching Monday Night Raw for three hours in hopes that you can randomly capture yourself on screen with a screen cap while you're doing this weird video Thunderdome thing. It's already weird to me that WWE fans do this because me sitting through a three-hour Raw straight without flipping the channel at all or getting up and moving (laughs) is impossible. It's impossible. It's so, like work. You go to the bathroom on purpose just to take a break from the product, basically. You're like, I'm going to take a 20-minute shit, and I'll fast-forward through a lot of this. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. Like, If you're a diehard WWE fan, don't take this the wrong way. I get it. If you like being part of that sucks. group, I don't know if you're – like, I don't know if there's a group chat. That Maybe that you know keeps them enticed or whatever. If there if there's like a group chat that's happening as well, because I've never been part of Thunderdome, because I know I'm gonna get banned as soon as I get there. And it's not for anything that I would have going on. What would happen is I will leave the room for like 15 minutes, and they'll be like, "Well, that guy's not even there. <laughs> I'll just get dropped." They'll just be like five cats. <laughs> the cats, <laughs> yeah, the cat, the cats are watching WWE. Smacking they're the all, camera. They're all also asleep. <laughs> So, <laughs> all right. Well, now that we've 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 had two funny segments, uh, let's get on and move to some reviews for television shows. All right, uh, let's do this. So let's uh, talk about the Wednesday shows because that's what the show's all about. Is the Wednesday shows? Uh, we'll start off with AEW. We started with an interview from Dasha Gonzalez uh, with Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. And basically Jericho was, you know, pointing out the fact that Jake Hager is 3-0 and zero in Bellator um, and talking about, you know, and hyping up his win. We have MJF, who uh, is with Wardlow. They interrupt. Um, he kind of just, you know, talks about 
the match that he's about to have with Wardlow against uh, Ortiz and Sammy Guevara. And, you know, how he's going to prove to Jericho that he deserves to be there at full gear against him and why he deserves to be in the inner circle, inevitably. Jericho, uh, you know, says, uh, sorry, MJF, but I figured out a kink in your arsenal. You know, you've got a lot of things going for you, but I think you're soft. S-A-W-T. I, I was hoping that Enzo Amore would come out there and start backing him up, like, in the background, but that didn't happen. But either way, MJF was mad about this and said, just watch. Then we had Chris Jericho entering the commentary booth. Uh, the commentary booth. The commentary table. Um, introduced himself. Gave Tony Schiavone a lot of shit. Called him Skivone, like he normally does. And uh, we, were, we were off to a lovely show. Before we get to the tag match itself, what did you think about this intro? I liked it between him and MJF. I thought they were funny back and forth. I don't know how you can call MJF soft, unless you're Chris Jericho. And obviously that's just to get, you know, his ego, um, which is, I think, is a fight of egos. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I like this. I, I thought it was good. And uh, I like Chris Jericho going down Tony Schiavone's throat the whole entire time. So I like this little intro and him giving him a lot of shit, telling him to wake up and pay attention, basically. <laughs> I like the intro as well. I think they spent a little too much time on MJF versus Chris Jericho throughout the show. But uh, yeah, the back and forth with uh, Jericho and Shivani or Tony Giovanni or Tony Skivong, as you said <laughs> earlier, was pretty funny. Um, my wife just pointed out that Chris Jericho looks like Vampire Lestat <laughs> at one point. <laughs> So I could never unsee that. If you've ever seen Interview with a Vampire, it broke me. Um, but yeah, I, I think they did a good job of building it up, and they continue to make Wardlow look good, which we'll get into a little later. Sammy and Wardlow, actually, kind of overshadowed this. They did, and I agree with you. I'm glad that you said that. I also like that they confirmed by the end of the match that we have Jake Hager in Jericho's corner, and we have Wardlow in uh, whatchamacallit, MJF's corner, obviously. I think that's a, a good added element for this match. I, I don't know, and we're going to talk about when we get to the pay-per-view um, at the end of the show, when we're going over who we think is going to win. I don't know, you know, um, who's going to win, who's going to get involved. It's uh, it's it's fun to have a match like this. And also, who's going to be the main event? Is it the championship match, which you would think? Or is it Jericho and MJF? Or is it the tag team championship match, which they've kind of said they want to do eventually? I mean, there's a lot of potential matches. This is looking to be a very good pay-per-view, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, I have to agree with you. One one thing that they said in the intro that I didn't necessarily think was true was Jake Hager is 3-0, but didn't he lose a match via hitting some dude in the balls too many times, or it went to no contest? Does no contest not that's count so. as 3-0-1? Yeah, I, I think that's actually correct, because I'm pretty sure that was a stoppage. So... Did they just give him a win off that? Because usually, if it's a if it's a DQ like that, it would go you would go two zero and one or three zero and one. I don't know. 
That, that was just weird. And they did that on... So this is not just an AEW thing. They also did that on the actual Bellator show. After he won, they said he was 3-0. So don't blame AEW for this. I'm just pointing out uh, <laughs> the potential for him not actually being 3-0. I guess they're going to work on whatever they have to work on, but... MJF and Wardlow versus Ortiz and Sammy Guevara. I thought this was a good match. Um, I mean, the beginning of it was basically Ortiz taking a majority of just being a ragdoll between, well, mainly Wardlow and then MJF. Uh, Sammy would get eventually the hot tag and he would run wild. A little bit too much offense on being able to believably, you know, I always say this, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to stop. Based on his size, being able to take advantage of both MJF and Wardlow, but... There was that awesome time where he did the uh, Tope Suicida corkscrew to MJF, followed by a Tope Gunhila over the top ropes to a corkscrew to Wardlow. I mean, Sammy is ridiculous. Sometimes I feel like he, he would do later on to MJF to the outside a 360 clothesline. It's like, all right, you know, <laughs> like I think Sammy's amazing, incredible and everything, but like... Save it for a pay-per-view or, you know, realize that you can just close on the motherfucker springboard-wise. But uh, I thought this was a fun match. Um, and I like that we have eventually something that looks like it's being put into fruition that I've been wanting is Sammy and MJF. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I, f- I feel like that's eventually going to get back to that. And I, I, I like the match itself. Uh, I thought it was awesome afterwards. Uh, you know, when, um, Ortiz, yeah, Ortiz, yeah, that's right. That's what happened. So Matt Hardy came in, he was dressed as a luchador. I forgot what his name is, but he was in the front row on the heel side and he threw a chair at Sammy Guevara in the audience and Aubrey Edwards was distracted at that point inside the ring. Um, Matt Hardy would reveal himself and then walk off. Sammy's done, obviously, at this point. And Ortiz takes the pin. Uh, or doesn't take the pin. He takes the uh, the tap out from MJF in the armbar, um, the salt of the earth. Uh, but afterwards, I like that MJF showed a little bit of ferocity running towards Chris Jericho, jumping over the announce table, knocking off the backdrop, beating the shit out of him. And then you have Jake Hager and uh, Wardlow going... You know, not nose to nose since Jake is uh, a little bit taller than Wardlow, but getting each other's shit basically before stuff is broken up. Um, and just Chris Jericho's nice little smile. A lot of little things they did on this show, especially we'll talk about later with the Young Bucks and FTR, helped out the buildup for the pay per view. I'll give them that credit, more so than a lot of the stuff that they did in the last couple weeks. So, this uh, another case of that. I like this added element, I like the match. Uh, I thought it was presented well, and I liked MJF attacking Chris Jericho at the end of it. I thought it was a really, really great match, especially leading to the pay-per-view. I thought they did a very good job of protecting Wardlow. They gave him this big segment where he saves MJF from taking the pin and then demolishes two people, which eventually led to Sammy Guevara getting hit with that chair on the outside, which let MJF get the win. Uh, like, you know, Wardlow helping MJF up after the match still because he's his bodyguard 
or whatever, and then they set up this cool concept of uh, down the line, maybe Wardlow versus uh, Jake Hager, regardless of what the outcome of this Jericho and MJF match is. I did like that MJF finally attacked this guy, because now we get a, you know, who is the heel here? It's obviously Jericho is the is playing the heel, I'm assuming, in this role. Uh, but all that being said, I, I Sammy Guevara was all over the ring. I, th- I thought he looked great. And later on in the night, he has a really cool spot with Matt to pump that match up. The only thing I'm not looking forward to out of all of the build that they did throughout the night between these people is the fact that Matt... And Sammy's match is another one of these cinematography, cinematic, already filmed matches. So take that for what it is. Yes, it's at the compound. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I don't know. Maybe because it's the originator, we'll actually like this one. I have no idea. That's kind of false hope at this point. But still, regardless, yeah, I I agree with you. Um I just like, like, I think you were alluding to uh, the, the part where <laughs> the Tower of Doom spot and MJF gets suplex or, yeah, superplex off the top ropes. And then Wardlow just drags his ass into the corner and tags himself in real quick. Uh, Wardlow's awesome. He's going to do really well. Sammy's going to do really well, obviously, from all this. And I like Chris, you know, selling his... his his uh his chin you know that like he got rocked uh you know Chris is a very very masterful wrestler so it's gonna be interesting uh to see what what what, what comes from this but uh let's let's <laughs> move down oh did you have something to say I'm sorry no I was just laughing because the rest of the night Chris Jericho explains why he's so upset is because of the MJF thing throughout <laughs> the entire rest of the night which is pretty cool. why is it why is he addicted to Tony Schiavone half the time? He yeah. tells Jim Ross. <laughs> because he's mad at MJF, which I thought was kind of great. Oh, God, that shit's funny as hell. Um, but, yeah, so we had next, we had an interview, sit-down interview with Kenny Omega, um, with Tony Schiavone, and it's kind of going over their match, and he talks about how He's excited about his match. Um, this is very weird. You know, this is kind of like what they're doing with the Young Bucks. All of a sudden, suddenly, compared to his entrances and the direction that kind of they've, they've brought up to, it seems like Kenny's going in a different direction, and he's almost more babyface in this. So I, mean, it's, it's, I feel like it's somewhat to throw us off a bit, Chris, but I could be wrong. But... Um, you know, he's just talking about the whole thing, and he's talking about the uh, World Title Eliminator Tournament and how Tony brings up the fact that, like, you know, don't you think since you're supposed to go against Joy Janela technically and then Ray Phoenix, and they got replaced, you know, that you had somewhat of an advantage? Um, and he said, well, no, I had to prepare differently. Like, I got prepared for one, you know, he made it make sense. And I like that about Kenny in this interview. And how it wasn't to him so obvious that it was going to be him against Adam Page because he specifically talked about Wardlow and how that could be something that could be different, a uh, different outcome, basically. And he asked uh, the viewers watching, who do you got, Adam Page or Kenny Omega? He says he's destined to win the tournament and become the new AEW champion. So very, uh, you know, proud 
Kenny Omega right here. Um, and also kind of just deliberating. I don't know why everyone thought it was so obvious to be me and Paige because you have Wardlow, obviously, and kind of throwing a lot of the, 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 the concepts at him winning this tournament and, and flipping it a bit. And I thought that Kenny did a good job with this interview. And I don't think he has the best interview, so I was uh, actually pretty impressed. Good build-up, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I would have to agree with you, except for I thought Kenny came off more as a heel here by complaining about the fact he never fought anyone he was supposed to fight. It was all replacement fighters. And that he should get a yeah. bye week. He shouldn't have even had to wrestle. He, he blessed you with his presence by being a true athlete and going out there and wrestling anyways, which you could relate to. Well, he didn't actually beat the better person, which you could debate that with Sonny Kiss versus you know Joey Janela, I guess, if you wanted to. But with Phoenix and Pentagon, Phoenix beat Pentagon. So he wrestled a guy that you know Phoenix had beaten. So it's kind of a shitbag heel thing to say. And then to completely dismiss, <laughs> that would have meant that Adam, Adam uh, Hangman would have lost in the first round. Right. If he didn't beat Wardlow. So just kind of dismissive over that. Uh, to me, he came off as more of a heel. Now, he talks very calmly and did say, like, who do you guys think is going to win? But he did play more into the heel role. And then we get more of a sympathetic baby face of this man losing his last friend later on in this interview with Jim Ross and and everything that's happened so far with adam page which i'll get into because i thought that interview was actually really great and mostly just because of the questions that jr asked i agree um all right so next we had trent versus the best man miro and uh this is a good match it really was uh i thought this is the best that miro's looked outside of wwe at least him in AEW in a match I mean, he's only had two matches that were singles before this, and I think, like, two tag matches. So there is that, but it was a very hard-hitting match. Uh, I like that they brought back the fact that they kind of had an interview um, recently talking about how Trent, during his stay at, uh, you know, Florida Championship Wrestling, FCW, Miro was kind of, like, you know, driving his ass around and shit like that because he was higher up in this whole entire thing. So... They kind of brought some some real life stuff into it. They brought up stuff outside of their product that they kind of bring the storylines from with this their interview segment with Tony Schiavone and um, and Aubrey Edwards. I forgot what the name of it is, but it's really good. They've been doing that more so with their YouTube show. So I like this. I really did, and uh, I thought they had a good match. I mean, it was Miro dominating the majority of the match, and Trent would have a, a couple comebacks. I know there was people. That kind of were like, well, Trent's known for tag team matches, and, and Miro's obviously was known beforehand for single stars, so he should be able to go right through them. Well, to me, Trent's the uh, obvious standout as far as exceeding from a tag team and doing something on his own. I think that he can do a really good job. I think a lot of people in wrestling, whether he's with Rocky Romero or Chuck Taylor, has kind of seen that in Trent. And, you know... I mean, Trent's like an inch taller than fucking Miro. So 
decently sized. They had a battle. I mean, this would get Kip Sabian involved, obviously, going against Chuck Taylor. They would be exited throughout the match because Chuck kind of fucked Kip all the way to the back. Penelope was messing with Orange Cassidy. And then the Dark Order would get involved because, um, oh, man, the bald guy. I can't remember his name now. I'm always talking Silver. every week. Yeah. John Silver. Uh, Silver. Yeah, John Silver came, and him in uh, 10, and one of the other members beat the living hell out of uh, Orange Casting on the outside, so that kind of took him out of the match. And then Trent inevitably got a kick in the face, the Machka kick. I love the spin kick that almost knocked the referee in the fucking face. He was like this close. He moved right at the last second. That would have been fucking crazy. But uh, Miro got the kick, and then followed by the, uh, you know, putting him in the, the um, I forgot what the hell he calls it, but uh, wow, I don't, I don't remember the original version either. It's the, um, it's the camel clutch. Camel clutch. Camel clutch. <laughs> so he t- Trent taps out. Thank you very much. Um, Trent taps out and Mira wins, but I didn't care at all about this tag match. I don't even know if it's on the pay per view, but I'm I, I like this match between them, and uh, this shows me that Miro is still efficient in the ring. I don't know why he's. This apparently is all him. His idea, he said that in interviews, he basically told everyone if they didn't like it, they're critics and they're not wrestling fans. What the fuck ever, Miro. The best man gimmick. You know, you're telling me to wait and see what happens. Right now you're a video game geek. So, that's fine. I'm glad that you were good in this match. Trent, I have a lot of hope for in the future. This kind of solidifies it. What do you think about this match? I think this was the best showing of Miro so far, uh, but it's based around a storyline I don't care, and I don't necessarily, like like you had said last week, I don't know that I would have put the best friends in this situation, honestly, because I think that would have been a good challenge for whoever's going to win the titles, unless you're just going to continue continuously do that in your tag division. Um, which, just heads up, the Matt Jackson injury is real, he has, partially, oh. he has partially torn MCL. So even if they win the titles here, which I'm assuming they probably will when we get into our predictions, uh, they may have to just give them back up, which would lead to another tag tournament. Right? God so uh, so that the, him selling the ankle, he has a bunch of things wrong at the moment. So that is part shoot, part work as far as how hard he's selling it. But he's definitely going to have to get work done on his leg at some point, which is going to derail the Young Bucks' reign. So putting the best friends here, who I think is one of their better tag teams, Ortiz is being separated kind of from Santana. I don't know what they're doing with that tag division. would be my answer but uh yeah i don't know i don't give a shit about this arcade cabinet getting smashed like i i don't care i know they're trying to promote this AEW video games thing which they're doing an announcement i guess on saturday or friday and it's either going to be that they're going to have a gaming twitch channel similar to i guess what i would what i would call up up down down in wwe since it's just a bunch of wwe people I'm assuming they're going to do something like that with AEW, and they're also going to be announcing their wrestling game, which we've been waiting for for a while. 
but just I don't care about any of this. And I, this is just like to me is a waste of Miro, and he's in a land of bigger guys with Lance Archer and Brian Cage and people that you could book ahead of him now that you've associated him as a geek in the world of wrestling, in my opinion. I don't know how you rehab the guy from this. You put him with Kip Sabian. That that's a, that says it all right there. Yeah, not smart. Not smart at all. And after the match, it was a little bit of insanity that continued. Um, we had basically, you know, Trent was still in the camel clutch. The game over is what he calls it. Um, you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't stop it after the match. Chuck comes running out, he saves his partner. Then we have Kip Sabian who comes out and saves the two of them, you know, double teaming on Miro. Then things uh, roll to the outside. Miro and Kip Sabian are beating the shit out of the best friends. Uh, you know, Miro starts cutting a promo before he can get really that far. Orange Cassidy dives and does a diving crossbody on the two of them. And then a bunch of people come out, uh, referees, to break them up. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, this, is, this is good, right? This is good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <sighs> that Orange Cassidy match was on the pre-show until they added this NWA match, by the way. So they've spent a lot of time on a feud. <laughs> one one match that's not going to be on the pay-per-view and one that was originally slated for the pre-show. <sighs> yep. Sad, but I agree with you. Well, we had Jim Ross, who sat down. You know, we alluded to this beforehand with Hangman Adam Page. <laughs> hey man, Page is drinking uh, from a rocks glass. There's brown liquid in it, and uh, Jr. You know, says, "Is that bourbon?" And he kind of just clanks his glass a little bit, and he kind of calls him out a little bit in this. Chris, you know, he says, "You know, I doubt that's the first one you've drank." And they're going back and forth, and you know, Hey man, Page is acting all like cool about everything. James Dean, cool. You know, I'm gonna. I'm going to beat Kenny. It's not going to be a big deal. I'm not worried about anything. And Jair says, I think you're full of shit, basically. And uh, it was kind of interesting that both Tony Schiavone and Jr. now have kind of called him on his shit about this. And he gets a little bit vulnerable and says, you know what? I am a little bit nervous. You know, this is a big thing. And, you know, at the end of it, Jr. basically tells him, like, you know, my mom always told me, like, moderation's key. And they kind of exited to that. So we have Adam Page, who is a little bit shook up, going against Kenny, who is trying to act villain humble, basically. But looks like he is going to... He has confidence he's going to win. Now we have Page, who tries to put on that confidence. But it's obviously all bullshit. Kind of cool element. I love this interview. Jim Ross is one of the best people, along with Shivani, to put on these interviews. And... I like seeing him paired with Paige this time. I thought it was good. What did you think? have to agree with you. And I think the best part, which you alluded to, was him calling him out. Like, he could let him give the canned, yeah, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to win. Not a big deal. I'm very confident. And Jim Ross is like, I can tell you're not confident, man. You wouldn't be drinking like this if you were confident. And what what he comes back to him with, I promised – 
a year ago that I was going to be the first WWE or not WWE, but AEW champion. And I lost that. And then I lost my tag team partner and lost the tag team belts. And if I lose this, what do I have left except for this glass of whiskey, which I thought was a great line from Adam Page based on a great interview from Jim Ross. I know there's people that still dislike Jim Ross for whatever reason, but this was one of the best sit down segments they've had in a very long time. I put this up there with the Shivani Cody interview when they were in the limo. Um, this is great. It gave you vulnerability, a reason to cheer for this guy, to treat him as an underdog. He's depressed that he didn't accomplish his goals. And if he does accomplish his goals, guess who he's going to get to meet, which we'll talk about later on. Probably the bastard pack again. So <laughs> it's an uphill battle for Mr. Adam Page. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Um, so the next part, we have Taz, who starts talking over the announce table, and all of them look to see what it is. It's angry Taz with this hat on, coming to the ring, talking up his two prospects, the Fuck the World champion, Mr. Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks, by the way, looked like one of the mutants in uh, the Dark the Dark Knight Returns with the uh, small fucking sunglasses across the face, bald ass head around. Um, if you know that, <laughs> good for you. If you don't, look up the picture and you'll understand what I'm saying. I thought he was dressed like The Rock, circa like 96 minus the fanny, fanny pack. <laughs> yeah, that's another good one too. Um, so Taz brings up some some some... You know, we're, we're about to talk about this because I have the rankings. You know, he just brings up the fact that he thinks it's bullshit. Uh, well, before that, I should say, we also had an awesome package with the Young Bucks and FTR building up for this Saturday. That and what they do later, I think, build up this this match more so than anything they've done recently, which is what I was basically saying uh, beforehand. Uh, but Taz coming out, just bitching about stuff and how... You know, Brian Cage, he first addresses Will Hobbs and says, you know, we don't have a lot. Of, you don't have a lot of time. You're starting to piss me off. Uh, but the starts talking about how Cage is, is 10 and one. Ricky's uh, uh, whatchamacallit, like he's had 10 wins and one loss, too. I think they're both like 10 and one. Most of those wins, I'm assuming because I don't watch a lot of it, is probably on AEW Dark like they've been doing and just talking about how the whole rating system is bullshit, how it doesn't make any sense, how he first... This is now, what, the third person? Fourth person in the night? I think Jericho immediately afterwards talks about TK, Tony Khan. Taz talks about TK, Tony Khan. Kenny talked about TK, Tony Khan. This happens a lot in this episode. I'm not saying that he's about to become a character, but I just think it's weird that beforehand he wanted nothing to do with you know, communicating, but now they're bringing up how, you know, if you're an insider and you're friends with them or you're an executive, he's TK. But I uh, just thought that was interesting, wondering where they're going with that. Um, and just brings up the whole concept of how it's it's bullshit that neither of them have a match, how they're just kind of like in the outskirts. So I like this because addressing issues I think that they have, that they're planning on doing something about, 
And uh, before I go into those actual ratings of the tag, the women's, and the men's championships, what did you think about this interview, Taz? I like Jericho kind of talking shit about him. He's like, what have you, What has he done besides put on that orange hat today? Like, why is he so angry? Like, I thought it was funny as fuck. Um, how'd you like Taz in this? I thought Taz was cutting a really good promo, and then he handed the mic to Ricky Starks, and then Taz continued to cut a good promo. Um, nah, all jokes aside, he pointed out some some things that made sense. If I'm AEW, I book them in a match at this pay-per-view, right? And if you're playing off the fact that Tony Khan is becoming a character, maybe you throw them against someone you're trying to push, which to me, they're trying to push the gun club. Maybe you put them against the gun club and the gun club wins. And that's a tag team feud or something. I I don't know where they're going with the storyline, it's not what I would be doing with Brian Cage. No. That would, that would be the only thing I would say. You know, The man literally looks like a, a, like if Bane and Wolverine had a kid. So <laughs> <laughs> if you can't find something for this monster to do, I, I don't know. And, and to me, like just bringing up the ranking system and telling me I should watch AEW Dark each week is not going to make me watch AEW Dark. It's just going to make me mad at your main product, as all of our listeners will know. <laughs> so we can go over these rankings, but they don't mean anything to me because we just watched a tournament in which they meant nothing on their primary show. This is going to be more for us to laugh at because of how ridiculous this is. So, do we have Moxley and Cody there? This is for the championships for either of them. Now, the rankings. Now, remember, they said at least built up on AEW Dark, which is not distinguished as something lower in expectations for the ratings. Ricky Starks has 10 and 1. He's not even on the top five. Brian Cage is 10 and 1. Um, the, second, the, the second is MJF, who's 9 to 1. Then, uh, what's his name? Uh, Lance Archer, who's 13 to 2. Then we have Darby Allen, who's 13 to 5. And Sean Spears, who's 15 to 2. That one's not so egregious. You would think that MJF would actually be down in concept, but I guess because he's only had one loss, that is something that's credible. But let's talk about the women's rankings. Um, so we have. Uh, now the Rose with eleven and two. We have Penelope Ford with nine and five. We have Abaddon five and one. Uh, we have Big Swole ten and four, and Britt Baker six and six. Also, still not too egregious. I would think that Big Swole would be up a little bit, even compared to Abaddon. I think the tag team one is is the most ridiculous. So FTR twelve and zero. They're the champions. Young Bucks, 8-3. and three. Then the best friends, 18 and 7 losses. Understand they've had 7 losses, but that's a, quite a few matches. Then we have the Nightmare Family with 8-2. and two. Uh, Then we have the Butcher and the Blade with 11-6. and six. And Jurassic Express with 9-5. and five. So I, I'm just wondering, do you think these are attention to detail or are they just putting whatever the fuck whoever makes sense to have on there for the next person to go against at this point it depends i mean if the young bucks are going to win the titles and then have to forfeit them to a tournament 
that might make sense. Uh, for the rest of it, I mean, are they going to push Sean Spears? <laughs> Why did they give him that many wins? <laughs> I mean, I I don't know, man. If they bring him into the fold with FTR and they have something interesting and Tully's going to be his mouthpiece, then sure. I mean, I there's more egregious things you could do. Uh, but I I don't know. They, I mean, they're not talking about the fact that Eddie Kingston is, what, 0-3? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the fact that... <laughs> oh, man. I'm trying to think of uh, Darby... I, Darby Allen's win-loss record's not even on there. But I guess it doesn't matter because the TNT title is an open challenge title. And so is the tag title. So they've, to me, they've bypassed some of this by saying we just open challenges. But yeah, eighteen and what was eighteen and six, eighteen and seven, considering how many people interfered in their matches, and the next closest the Young Bucks at what nine and three, eight and three, eight and three. So technically, if you're doing it percentage wise, wouldn't they have about the same percentage? And now the best friends are wrestling Miro and Kip Sabian. <laughs> Let that sink in, I guess. I don't. I mean, why would you even waste Tito Ortiz and Santana or uh, Ortiz and Santana if you're if you're just gonna put them in that storyline? Like, why uh, is that your blow off? Because Ortiz and Santana is one of the best tag teams they have, maybe easily yep. in the top two or three. Some people might disagree with me. I think they're a little bit better I than agree. FTR. Uh, mo- mostly because they have more personality than FTR. FTR having Tully is probably a godsend for that team. Uh, but I-, I don't know. That's I mean, that's personal opinion. But yeah, that the ranking system's weird, which makes me think the Bucks are going to win and have to forfeit the titles. So crazy. Well, following we had the, you know, people to go against FDR, the Young Bucks going against uh, Private Party in a match. Uh, they came out with Matt Hardy. Well, Sammy Guevara got his payback by attacking Matt Hardy before he entered the ring. Uh, attacking him from him, he hit him with a twist of fate and punched him uh, to the ground. And we kind of went to commercial break. I like, uh, you know, once again, this situation. They've done more for, I think. I mean, I understand these guys have had a long rivalry. And what I mean by rivalry is one time where where Guevara fucked up Hardy on accident, uh, but threw a fucking chair at him. And then I don't put Guevara, you know, I don't put Sammy at any fault with the other thing that they did in the match. They have the last pay-per-view. But, uh, you know, this has gone on. And I think they got me a little bit back into this just now, uh, you know, with this attacking back and forth into it. But uh, once again, we kind of t- you talked about this beforehand. Even though I'm going to ask you this, even though it's a cinematic match, the fact that Matt Hardy, this is his thing, it's probably most likely it looks like going to be at the compound, and this will be the originator in this type of new fad within wrestling with the cinematic matches do you think that this still could be a good match i mean they actually have a ring on site at least i think that this should be as good as that jacksonville jaguars stadium match they had 
Okay. Which, which while ridiculous, was entertaining, at least, and did have a wrestling ring. <laughs> so, do I think that I'm going to enjoy it after watching so many of these? Probably not. I bet there will be people out there that do enjoy this, though. And, and at least you we know my fam, don't you? No, but at least we know no one got injured in this since they recorded it like last week and we saw them both on the show on Wednesday. Hey, that's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, look, if they're going to pull out Senior Benjamin and uh, what's the drone's name? Vanguard 3.0 at this point and Rebby oh, and, the, and, the, and the children. Well, they brought him back. This is Vanguard 3.0 now. I mean, it's it could be entertaining. It's just they've tried to get Matt away from that character. And now you're doing a broken match on the compound. Is Matt going to show up as normal Matt after this? <laughs> or is Sammy going to well, be the crazy one? Like, if, if this is what you do, and this could be great. If MJF does win this match and joins the inner circle, but Sammy Guevara is just completely batshit crazy because he's broken and decides he's going after the inner circle, that could be interesting. That's an interesting uh, concept. I I do find that intriguing. I'm just wondering, you know, Matt said that the reason why he stopped doing the broken gimmick is because there was no audience. Well, now they have somewhat an audience. They're going to have like a thousand people um, predicted, at least from what Jim Ross and Chris Jericho were saying, at full gear. You know, I wonder if that's that means he wants to bring back out the broken mat concept or like you said, if they're going <laughs> for something for Sammy. I, I would say that, you know, TNA also didn't have an audience when he was doing this. So I just like a thousand people is probably <laughs> better. <laughs> A thousand people is probably better than the 1,000 they had when he was doing this broken gimmick. Now, granted, a lot of people were watching it, but <laughs> there wasn't that big of an audience. This was filmed. Uh, That's in, a good point. In, in Universal with like 500 people. And they have like people that just show up for those TNA events that they have cheer random things, which was always baffling during that time period. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, but I, I think there's a good chance that Broken Matt Hardy is coming back out. I could be wrong about that, but you know, if he has well, somewhat of an audience, I, I guess he's more comfortable of doing it. Well, I mean, isn't the entire thing that this is the broken match? Isn't that what they're calling this? I'm not sure. Probably. I don't know. I hope Undertaker shows up. That's you guys will feel the wrath. Undertaker shows up riding a motorcycle listening to Metallica, then we'll know that this might be one of the good ones. Or if we see Skarsgård, the dilapidated boat. If I see neither of those things, I'm going to be like, man, this is one of those cinematic matches that I'm not a huge fan of. Christopher, I'll let you know I'm planning on going to the compound to go against Matt Hardy to find out who is the best out of anyone. After I find out who won the votes. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Bring him there, too. He's, I mean, he is a Hall of Famer. You got to realize that. He's a WWE <laughs> Hall of Famer and a real heel. <laughs> oh, my God. Gerald Briscoe fucking posted on Twitter. So I guess I'm not the only Hall of Famer from WWE that's going to be out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good old Jerry. That's, that's, that's great. It's <laughs> really good for you, Gerald Prisco. That's fucking funny. <laughs> oh, man, that shit's funny as hell. All right, so yeah, Private Party, Young Bucks, good match. Matt Hardy was, I mean, just selling the fact, or Matt Hardy. <laughs> Matt, Matt Jackson. Jackson was, you know, just selling the fact that his ankle was bothering him the whole entire time. Now to find out from what you said, he was actually hurt. So that's uh, interesting. And that was kind of the story in this. Like, why are they risking themselves, you know, in this? Just building up more stuff against the Young Bucks. The fact that they said that if they lose this, that's it. The fact that Matt's actually hurt. The fact that, you know, they have a match right beforehand with a young tag team like like uh, like uh, uh, Private Party. You know, there there was lots of elements against them. That kind of put them against FTR, and I don't know what's going to happen. I, I have kind of ideas of what might happen, but it, it's 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 intelligent to do that. But uh, I thought this was a good match. Uh, the Young Bucks would win. Um, but yeah, realize that Matt throughout this he took a lot of punishment, and that's going to be an underlining factor uh, afterwards, you know, or 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 for the match. What FTR should say. But um, after we had, um, you know, FTR hit the ring, they ambush him, and to come out and help them was Hangman Page and, uh, and, and Kenny Omega separately. Can- Hangman, of course, because he was trying to finish his cocktail a little bit behind Kenny, but they cleared the ring, and the Elite was won uh, for, for a little amount of time. And then Kenny, you know, tried to fist bump Cage, or not Cage, uh, Hangman Page. And shortly after that, you know, they were kind of going back and forth, like they're about to go at it. So I feel like this is like just showing us it's the last time you're going to see these guys on the same page at all. And it's going to be different after this. Like, it, with if the last year didn't say. The old school bullet club of this this generation is done. This is definitely just it's it's over. And I feel like positioned, you know, I feel like Kenny's going to be doing some type of fuck over in this. I don't know if it's against the Bucks. I don't know if there's going to be something that happens after Page, but it just feels to me that that makes the most sense. Um, but I could be wrong. I have no idea what's going to happen on Saturday, and I like that. What did you think about this match and the aftermath, Chris? I thought this was a very good match in which uh, not uh, not Matt, but Nick carried the load for the most part. Uh, there were some, definitely some cool spots, as you would expect, from both these tag teams. It was not your typical Young Bucks match, and I expect that match at the pay-per-view to be more like the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks, where Matt, or Nick was selling his back the entire time, or Matt was selling his back the entire time. I'm assuming it's going to be more like that, which could be great, because to me, that's one of their best matches. I know a lot of people might disagree with me on that, but I think that's one of their best matches because I think it had some of the best psychology, which you're in there with fucking Kenny Omega and uh, God, why can I not think of his name? Uh, Kota Ibushi. You're yeah. going to you're gonna get that kind of match in general, but I thought that was some great storytelling, and I feel like that's what you're going to get out of the FTR match. It could easily be the best match on the show, even with the injury. 
I kind of feel like Tolly might cost FTR the belt somehow. So I'm going to go opposite with you where Tolly screws up in this match later, I guess when we get in more into predictions, but the, uh, the cool thing was like Adam page, like you said, he was the, he came out before Kenny, Kenny came out, they fist bump and Kenny turns his back when Adam page is trying to talk to him and that pissed drunk Adam page off. <laughs> so they almost came to fisticuffs. Didn't. And I guess we'll see what happens at the pay-per-view, which should be amazing. Because both of these matches are going to be very good. I mean, this is... One is a match we've been waiting for for a long time. Even with the injury, it should still be really, really good. And the other is Kenny Omega versus Adam Page, which we've seen in G1 before. Should also be a really good match. Absolutely. All right, well, we also uh, had Mr. Eddie Kingston show up to, you know, talk about John Moxley. Remember, Kingston can't touch Moxley before this pay-per-view, so <laughs> I like Moxley's strategy because, you know, Tony Schiavone's in there. He's hosting it. He has Eddie Kingston come out. Eddie basically gets in his face, bullies him, gets Tony out of there very quickly. John Moxley comes out, and he's just after, you know, Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston brought up the fact that, like, you know, this championship, when I give it to my mother, this will be the reason that, you know, you don't have a grandson, that you don't have, you know, a, a uh, that I don't have a wife, basically. You know, this will be everything that I've been working on lately. And Moxley calls him out about it. You know, he, he brings up his mother. And remember, Eddie can't do shit. Eddie, at one point, gets so mad with Moxley in this interview that he turns his back on him and just tries to move away from him. And he's pissed and he's angry. But yeah, you know, Moxley brings up the fact that, like, you know, his mother had had made them both, you know, dinner before, you know, that he always promised his mom that he'd take care of him, he'd watch out for him, that he was so excited when he got signed there at AEW that he didn't expect that he would be the one to basically stab him in the back like this. And it gets very personal between the two. And Eddie's another person, you know, we talked about earlier with Walter being able to, or, you know, Okada is a good example of that too. Taking me out of my element with the wrestling, with the fighting that makes me believe that it's actually real, that this, this worked, you know, situation is actually real and legitimate by the combat. Eddie does it. And Moxley too, with their words towards each other and Moxley or, you know, Moxley just laying into Kingston and Kingston just starts saying, you know, like, you know, you better kill me because um, I'm going to destroy you, basically. Like, and just started repeating that over and over again. Just pissed off at the fact that Moxley brought up his mother. I think it was Ruby's name, is her name, I, I believe. I could be wrong on that. But even saying her name just struck a nerve with him, and he sold it great. And this really amped up everything. I thought both of their promos were great. I thought the stuff that Eddie did, not necessarily a promo, but his reaction to Moxley was incredible and gave a lot of, you know, pizzazz to their kind of put together fight that's happened in the last couple of weeks. Uh, once again, another situation where I thought they finally got a lot of effort uh, into making me invest and in caring in this title match that beforehand 
Eddie was making him, you know, making me want to see this, but not as much as what happened uh, last night. Basically, I thought this was great. I thought this was awesome, and it was real. He that's what he kept on saying. He goes, "This is real. You better kill me. This is real, Chris. You better kill me." What'd you think? Well, I'm gonna talk from a non or at least a hu- not a huge wrestling fan's perspective when my wife said he is the best actor on this entire show, talking about Eddie Kingston, which to her means he's the best character on the show. I believe him. I believe the anger and aggression he is showing with his face and the way he's saying things. That is what she was attempting to say in a non-wrestling fan-type manner. Because <laughs> like I said, she doesn't watch the show week to week with me. She has better shit to do. <laughs> Um, but this might be the best face-to-face promo I have seen in 10 years. I would maybe hearken back to The Rock and John Cena as being the closest. And this is, we're going over a lot of wrestling, but this set up this match perfectly. And to some extent, you feel Freddie Kingston which you're not supposed to, which is which is kind of great. Um, and the fact that Eddie Kingston's group didn't come out and jump John Moxley afterwards, which I was assuming would happen. Because it's like, yeah, Kingston can't lay a hand on you, but what about the Lucha Brothers? What about the Butcher and the Blade? What about this? They didn't do that. They didn't take the easy way out of this. Eddie Kingston he's is too proud. This, he's too proud. He's taking this personally. Him turning his back on him says, "You, you better. You're gonna have to kill me. You're gonna have to kill me to win this match." It made me want Eddie Kingston to win this match, and I don't know if that's what they were going for, but it worked. Whatever psychology they were pulling, and I mean, these are two of the best promos in the business, week to week. I would throw, I throw, you know, MJF up there. Orton up there as well. I think Orton's been really, really great. Um, Paul Heyman, which is just always solid. They know how to get you invested in whatever is going on and whatever story they're in. And they nailed it here. And this was the best thing on the show. Easily the best thing on the show. And it made me want to fast forward to Saturday to see how crazy this match is going to get and what the outcome is going to be. And it it really made me feel for Eddie Kingston knowing that he's never made it as a champion. Never really made it in any big company. I mean, I guess if you consider CZW a big company, you could could give that a nod. But maybe this is his time, which I think is what you're supposed to think. And he was phenomenal here, and he's been phenomenal for weeks. And this is the best Moxley we've seen in a long time. He knew how to get under his skin, and he... He basically shoved bamboo sticks under Eddie Kingston's nails with his words. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know. That's that's the thing. It's like he's so good. I could see him in a David Ayer or like an Antoine Fuqua movie, like playing a character, and I think that he would just be so natural about it because his acting ability is that good. And him and Moxley. I think that they know each other. They're friends, obviously. They've known each other for years. So, kind of like what we saw Walter... I, I hate to keep on going back to that, but like with Walter and uh, Ilya Ned Dragunov, 
I think they're going to beat the living fuck out of each other. Now, I don't know if this is going to be the best match at Full Gear. I'm pretty sure there's going to be better worked matches. I mean, the Page Omega match has a lot of potential. The tag match obviously has a lot of potential. Uh, there's several that you could, like, you know, go to for that. But this will be the one that has the most emotion for AEW. This to me, is what Roman and Jay are to the WWE SmackDown, or the main roster, if you will. Um, it doesn't matter if the wrestling is so incredible. It's if, if they beat the living hell out of each other and tell a good story, and there's a lot of this that plays out in the match of you know them talking back and forth, that will hook me. Uh, that's what I need, basically, from this. I'm going to agree with you 100%. And here's the reason why. As we've seen on past pay-per-views, let's say Dustin versus Cody, sometimes the emotion going into the match makes it the better match. It's about the storytelling. It's about being taken out of your element. You could do a bazillion cool spots, but if I don't believe in the story, then I don't necessarily care. I mean, there's going to be exceptions to the rule if it's just incredibly crazy like Kenny Omega versus Okada which the story there is Omega cannot beat Okada for three times right <laughs> so you could you could argue that but you get what I'm saying it's with AEW a lot of it is the storytelling a lot of it should be the storytelling that's typical American wrestling and this should easily be if they don't brawl out of their minds if they don't get absolutely too crazy and bring out barbed wire beds or whatever fire and thumbtacks this could easily be the best match of the night just because i think it's the one that people are going to care the most about now as far as in-ring work goes it's probably going to be either adam page or the young bucks versus ftr but yep (laughs) as far as an overall match and caring about it this will be the one that people might go back and watch, especially if Eddie Kingston somehow wins the title in his first major promotion. Like that'll be bigger than anything on the show. Like a dub, like everyone's assuming that, you know, the young bucks are eventually going to win the tag titles. That Kenny Omega is going to be a, a number one contender or Adam page is going to be a number one contender, but who in their right mind would think let's go back two years. Who would think that someone like Eddie Kingston would be in the main event of a pay-per-view with a hundred thousand buys with the amount of promos he's put up there like that in itself should carry people's emotions into this match. And if, if, if this isn't doing anything for you storyline wise, like anyone out there listening, you like wrestling for way different reasons than I do. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'll second that. This is, this is a chance, even though he's presented as a heel, to be like a Rocky moment, you know? Well, I mean, I guess Rocky lost the first time, but you understand what I'm saying. This is a, this is special, and I hope they do something cool with this. Because I love I love Moxley, but I thought, of, I thought MJF should have taken the fucking title off of him. Honestly, I'm kind of over it. So even though he's like four or three and, and, and zero lo- or wins, basically, it would just be a good story. And then, I mean, you could promote him. I guess you could have him as a heel either way, or or you could promote him as a babyface, like a badass babyface, 
Maybe his group fucking turns on him because he has a title or something. I mean, Pac is coming back. I know that we kind of made it look originally like Pentagon was going to be thrown out of his group, and then it kind of looked like Phoenix was going to be the one going, but maybe they all just say fuck you or something. I don't know. You can, you can figure out something. Um, but or it could be Eddie Kingston. I mean, it, it, could, it, it could be that Kingston actually does kill Moxley in this match and puts him on the shelf for a while. And that That's makes it. his group stand back in line out of worry of how far this guy will go. Which the story we've been told about Moxley is he is willing to go that far, right? And no one can challenge him. And now you have this crazy son of a bitch from CZW ready to go that far, saying you're going to have to kill me. That's that's the story. <laughs> and that's what makes yep. this match so great. And they've done a great job in promos telling me what the story of this match is. This is a masterclass of how you should build up a main event pay-per-view match. Yep. And uh, like I said, this is this is up there with, like I said, Roman and Jay, just in putting pure emotion into a storyline. Definitely appreciate that. Well, you know, kind of talking about Pac, uh, the Bastard's coming back. He had a video, very, very heavily produced, I would say. You know, it had um, just himself sitting on a chair, looking at the fire, talking about isolation. And there's him in multiple different variations just all like, you know, screaming or whatever. Very much reminded me of the Eric Young one they just did for Impact. But Eric was in a prison. Uh, Pac was at his house. But, you know, kind of just reminding people he's here. And he's coming back. And it's going to be hell to pay for the fact that he had to wait this long. So I'm very much looking for the return of Pac. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, afterwards, Butcher and the Blade attacked the Natural Nightmares backstage while they were talking to Alex Mervez, and that's about it for that. But uh, what do you think about Pac, um, his his little promo package? So I like the Pack promo because his character is being the bastard Pack, kind of the unloved son, not having anyone, and then relaying that back to COVID, which I think a lot of people could relate to if you're a single person stuck inside for months and months and the way they built up that he's supposed to be stronger and faster i think that builds into the character i thought the audio was kind of shit on this i don't know if this happened for you or not but the audio was very spacey for me so i missed some of the like the words and things that he was actually saying in the promo itself but the concept's good and i'm very happy for him to be able to come back and and be a hard hitter because he was on a really good run there before COVID happened in AEW having great matches Uh, for the butcher and the blade thing. I missed this completely. I'm not going to lie. So I'll, I'll rely on you for that synopsis and uh, opinion. I got to admit, I don't even remember it happening until this uh, breakdown in front of me showed me that. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that happened. I guess I blinked or took a pee or something. Uh, maybe we both had pee breaks for that. I don't know. When you're when, at least for me, when I'm watching two television screens, I'm like, I gotta go now, and I wait. But uh, <laughs> I just I just assumed that it happened on Fight TV and that it happened picture in picture for me, and I missed it. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna go with. <laughs> we'll just keep it for that. Yeah. 
So uh, Red Velvet with Brandy came out. She's been someone they've been pushing on uh, Dark. Um, and she was going against Nyla Rose, who obviously is going against uh, Shida, Kuro Shida at Full Gear this Saturday. And um, Nyla obviously had uh, Vicky Guerrero in her corner. And Nyla, I mean, I, I don't remember. Red Velvet might have had a comeback at one point. But it was mostly Nala just destroying her. And she dominantly won. Uh, she did her quick, uh, you know, her uh, her move to her. And uh, afterward, her beast bomb, that's what it's called, I'm sorry. Um, she goes to cover. She stops. She then hits her with Sheeta's finisher as she has watched the front, yo- front row. Looks pissed off about it. And afterwards, Vicky runs... Uh, you know, first Brandy down, saying that she should be the CBO for the chief bitch officer and making fun of the fact that she's trying to mentor Red Velvet, which honestly, it's not that I don't like Brandy, but if I'm going to mentor towards anyone in the female women's division or, or male or who, whatever, probably wouldn't be Brandy. Just saying. Um, but she walks over and gets in Nakurashita's face. She informs her that. Tony Khan has forced to make this match. She then tells her what to expect this Saturday, which is broken bones. She does a sarcastic bow and Japanese message leading to Sheeta snatching her up by her collar and prompting Rose to come over. This leads to a pull apart with the announcers uh, doing their best to deliver the final hard sell for Rose Sheeta 2 for the AEW women's title match this Saturday at AEW Full Gear. And uh, yeah, that was a uh, that was uh, some good stuff. Then we saw a video of Darby Allen, uh, you know, basically <laughs> he uh, he shoots back inside the Daily Place Amphitheater where we see Allen seated in the rafters. Uh, wait, wait, the vignette itself it was him hitting a Cody dummy with a car. I thought. But this person doesn't have it written he, down correctly. Yeah, so I, I, I have it in my notes. So basically, he smashes his own car window with a skateboard, climbs inside of it, then runs over a Cody doll. But the windows are painted like he is uh, not Angel, but the other character, Spike from Buffy. And then somehow drives to Daily Place, and then they focus in, in on him afterwards. That's what I wrote down. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Then um, I like this though. How, how did you like the uh, the the women's match? And honestly, if you were an aspiring female wrestler, would you try to go under the tutelage of of Brandy Rhodes to find out the real wrestling secrets and whatnot? No, because your gimmick immediately gets erased as soon as you get put with her. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Uh, I you know I thought the match was pretty good for a squash match. Velvet came out. She had some offense early, and then as we expected, Nyla Rose just had a squash match. It was fine. I thought the commentary was funny when she hit the power bomb. Chris Jericho's like, "Somebody get a spatula," which made me laugh really, really hard. Um, the match was fine. The pull apart was fine. It builds the pay per view. I say too little too late because they built most of this on AEW Dark while highlighting the NWA championship which I honestly care more about in their women's division even though it's not their women's division 
<sighs> have to agree with you, man. Definitely have to agree with you. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the last match on here. So we have the Dark Order going against Cody and the Gun Club. Um, I thought it was a good match. This was fun. Uh, this was Cabana, uh, John Silver, and Ten uh, from the Dark Order. And obviously, I think the end... Just the fact... All right, well, the biggest thing I have to say is Billy Gunn looks so towering over every fucking person. Uh, and the fact that he looks his age for close to 60 years old, uh, he moves still the way he can, selling and offensively. I mean, it's ridiculous. But his son, I did like the fact that his son got the win. He did the crossroads. These guys are part of the gun club, you know, now. So they're a part of the Nightmare family, or they're part of the Nightmare family, I should say. They are the guns club. But I like that added element. I like that Cody has this little faction, I guess you could say. I I don't know if it's like, I hope it turns into a cult different than the Dark Order, where everyone just worships Cody, because I guess that's what it is anyways. But, um... You know, uh, good stuff. And uh, Austin Gunn got the pin after, like I said, the crossroads that he did from his mentor. And afterwards, we had Cody address Darby Allen and kind of say, like, you know, you, can, you you always talk about the office being the thing that holds you down. And it's actually your reckless attitude. Like, you know, you said that AEW didn't want you to be the, the, the face uh, of, of their, their company, but I'm the one who's one of the guys in charge and I'm the one that got you the job here and suggested you and you're the one who, who does this to yourself and you have Darby up in the rafters like he has been. Uh, you can compare it to either Raven or Crow Sting, you know, just sitting up there, you know, with all these rumors about Sting possibly making an appearance at full gear, I'm not going to get myself all in a tizzy about it, but I'm just saying it, it would kind of make sense what they're going for visually. Um, but I, I, I really liked it. it. Like I said, I think it spiced up their feud. I just think that what should have ended the show should have been Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. This could have been second to last. That's fine. But this being at the end kind of was like, all right, just because of the rest of the participants. If, if you wanted to get Cody and Darby Allen in some type of confrontation or promo, you could have done it in some other way or put it early in the night. That's my opinion, but I like this for the most part. I thought it was a fun match, and, and I loved, like I told you, I loved uh, uh, Chris Jericho comparing um, John Silver to who? Who did he say? Did he say Ox Baker? No, that wasn't who he said. <laughs> no, but Buzz Sawyer. Buzz Sawyer, not Ox <laughs> Baker. He has really big eyebrows, or he did. Um, but that, I thought that was a funny comparison, saying he was a crazy guy and with a long beard. <laughs> Um, but yeah, how, how'd you like this last match, Chris? And what do you think about the outro and Cody calling out Darby Allen for a shit of I being this, reckless? I thought this was a good match for the gun club. I'm not going to lie. I mean, if, if that's someone you're trying to get behind, sorry, a helicopter came by. If that's someone you're trying to get behind, um, it, it makes sense to give Austin Gunn a big win there. You can associate them with the nightmare family i did like chris jericho's comment he was like how come i wasn't invited to the nightmare family they have like 100 members now and i had to go start my own group which <laughs> was 
which was really really funny. Um, I don't know if he if he should have said that based on his storyline, but it was funny. Um, I thought Austin Gunn looked good here. Uh, one thing wrestling wife said <laughs> was, "Holy shit, that guy is way bigger than everyone in the ring." <laughs> <laughs> talking about Billy Gunn, and then I like God. I spent two minutes explaining who Billy Gunn was, and and once she realized he was in the Attitude Era, she was like, "Oh, well, that makes sense because everyone there is like huge." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, it does it does?" Um, but Austin Gunn looked good. He got a strong win. Cody looked good. I liked the commentary about them teasing that Arn was not necessarily happy with the way Cody is wrestling. Because he goes for this huge dive before a title match midway through. And Tony and JR both bring up, I bet, you know, Arn isn't too happy about that. Because, like, why would he care about this match? This match doesn't matter. Right. And they brought that up. So that that builds tension if they're going to go there in the future. And, And the Cody promo was good. It's weird that you have no rebuttal at all from... Darby Allen, other than sitting there in silence, but that's what they're going for with the cal- uh, the character. I feel like Darby needs to win this match. <laughs> like, I don't... If Cody wins this match, this will be the third or fourth opportunity Darby's had it, or no, it'll be the second opportunity he's had at a title and lost without having really significant wins. So I don't, I don't know what that does for him, but I feel like he needs to somehow pull off a victory in this, even if it's for Cody to turn heel or play on the fact that he's the reason Darby's there, which I will get into later, but that that's how I took it. But the promo from Cody was pretty good. It was not as good as the, <laughs> like you said, you could have put this in the middle of the show, like the nine o'clock hour and that might have made sense, and then just did the standoff to, for the send home with Darby, or not Darby, but uh, John Moxley and uh, Eddie Kingston. Yeah, that's what I would have done. I think Darby's planning on, you know, since he's all like brooding and shit like that, he's he's going to show him his version inside the ring because he's silent and stuff like that. Um, but interesting, nonetheless. Um, this could be a lot of fun. We have elements, you know, for the craziest and most vast and out there with the sting concept getting involved in this. But with Arn Anderson, is he done with Cody? Is is this going to – are we going to see something different happen, you know, from what people have been saying? Whether it be some type of collaboration with FTR and Sean Spears with other people, maybe a Kenny Omega who's disgruntled um, and – thinks of himself this highly that does this type of devious thing, or maybe it is Cody and it was all just a ruse, or maybe it could be an MJF who doesn't need the fucking, um, doesn't need uh, Chris Jericho and the rest of them. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Let's get into this pay-per-view though, Chris, let's go over the matches. I don't know if any are going to be added. I'm pretty sure it's the final set and this is not in any particular order. We don't know the order of it. Uh, but I do know that the first match that will be on the pre-show, Serena Deeb, the new NWA World's Women's Champion, going against Allison Kay, who recently has not been, or, or I thought she checked out of NWA. I thought she got out of her contract, but now she's coming for this. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, Deeb 
just got the belt. I know that one's an NWA contracted person from what I know, and one is an AEW. So maybe it's going right back on Allison K. But I feel like it's going to be a long, good match, and Deeb is going to end up winning and retaining her title. What do you think, Chris? I feel kind of the same way. I think this will be a pretty good match. Neither of us are huge Allison K fans. I wish they would have highlighted more of the fact that she has been a former NWA women's champion to kind of give you a little bit of backstory, which they didn't, but they've done a good job at promoting what the NWA women's title pictures looks like and what it has been. So I'm not going to complain too much about that. This is a great buy-in match. Honestly, I think it'll be really, really good because they're going to give them time to work, right? This isn't going to be like a WWE pre-show match where it's three minutes. Um, or I would think Billy Corgan would be like, no, fuck that. Um, so I'm assuming this will be a pretty good match. And uh, I, I'm on the same page as you. I think Deebs will probably retain. And the reason I think that she's going to retain is you want the rematch between her and Thunder Rosa, even if you're having to do it on AEW. Yep. And good for NWA for at least p- keeping their name out there in a time period in which they can't actively run shows. So if if they're working that, and Thunder Rosa and Serena Deebs are doing... I mean, they could be doing a split contract, for all we know. Jacksonville to Atlanta is not that far-fetched, right? <laughs> Considering no. Cody lives here. Um, if they're doing something like that... And the idea is to eventually have a big tournament or a big battle. I I think you save Deebs and and Thunder Rosa down down the line, and whoever wins that, maybe they go against your AEW champion, which to me helps that women's division. The only thing that sucks is for someone like Britt Baker, who I think is on the cusp of breaking in as a huge character. The in-ring work isn't there for her. And you still have to rely on someone like Sheeta or <laughs> they need to call Rio and see where she's at as well, by the way. But yeah, this will be a good match. Great opener. I agree. All right. Next up on the list, we have Orange Cassidy going against John Silver. This is definitely going to be, I would assume, somewhat comedic. Um, I don't know why. And I like John Silver. Don't get me wrong. I don't know why you'd have Orange Cassidy go over twice on Jericho if you're probably going to have him lose against John Silver on the opening match. So I'm going to go with Orange Cassidy winning over Silver. Probably will be some influence or interference with the Dark Order, but I feel like Silver is still going to lose because what is he going to bitch about on being the elite? I mean, there's just that. Who do you think is going to win? I think that Orange Cassidy is going to win, but I think this is the reappearance of Brody Lee, maybe demolishing John Silver uh, and putting him back in line. That would that would be my guess, and then it sets up a match with Orange Cassidy versus Brody Lee. I could see that. It's, it's a bold prediction, but that's what I'm going to go with on this. So I have Orange Cassidy winning via the New Order destroying themselves. All right, well, next up we have Chris Jericho uh, versus MJF. Uh, Jericho has Hager in his corner. MJF has Wardlow. This is a singles match, 
And if MJF wins, he's allowed to join the inner circle. I think MJF is going to win. I don't know if there's going to be any interference between people and a different, like, a. I don't know if there's going to be any new faction brewing or anything like that. But I think MJF's going to win, and he's going to tell Jericho, screw you in the Dark Order. I was only doing this to, you know, basically feed you into doing this match because of your ego. And him and Wardlow beat the living hell out of them and then dip before the rest of, uh, you know, their faction can do anything about it. So I, I, I think something on those lines is going to happen. What do you think, Chris? I'm still not rolling out finger poke of doom, but if they're, I mean, either way, I think MJF is going to win this match to continue the storyline. I do think this is going to set up a feud either way between Jake Hagar and uh, Wardlow. But I'm not, ruling, I'm not ruling out that this is just going to be a fuck finish where Chris, Chris Jericho just lays down or something weird. It could be. I could definitely see that happening, too. Uh, all right, so we have the Elite Deletion match with Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara. Matt Hardy's going to win this. It's going to be cinematic. It's going to be weird. There's going to be a dilap- dilapidated boat. There's going to be a ring. No brother Nero, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Sammy's finally got to lose to Matt Hardy. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, and I think that this might actually play into the inner circle if Sammy loses. So it makes sense. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you on this one and say Matt Hardy wins this, and maybe Sammy is reborn. Probably be reborn as though. That would be so amazing. I hope he comes back as that panda bear thing he used to wear to the ring. Remember that? <laughs> he shows up in a segment. And Chris Jericho is like, "What are you wearing that for? I told you not to wear that." All right, yeah, so Jericho here. telling Jericho telling Sammy Guevara not to wear ridiculous coats is his comedy in itself. <laughs> Situational comedy in that regard. All right, so Hikaru Shida, the AEW Women's Champion, going to a singles match against Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero. I feel like Nyla's got to get this back. She'll be a two-time Women's Champion, but, I mean, I understand she's a heel, but you can put Britt Baker against her. You can figure out something else. I like Shida. I just... What are we going to have? Another time where Alex Marvez says... So, Sheeta, who are you going to go against? I want you. You will die. You know, I, I just, I, I don't think I can do that again, Chris. I think I'm done with Sheeta, uh, unfortunately, as champion. I think Nyla Rose is going to win this. So, Sheeta does suffer from promo, obviously. She's not as entertaining as someone, say, like Asuka, who can just be entertaining in any language. I would agree with you. It, they wouldn't have put Vicky Guerrero with Nyla if they didn't have some kind of plan. So I'm assuming that Nyla gets her win back here, especially because this isn't a no DQ match. The first match was a no DQ match, if you remember, where Sheeta was able to utilize her kendo stick and all that jazz. This kind of evens the playing field. 
And uh, yeah, I think Nyla wins and it sets up matches with maybe someone like a Thunder Rosa or a Serena Deeb or Britt Baker. Uh, it's going to have to be someone that people really respect to beat Nyla just because they've booked her as such a monster. But that's not, I mean, I don't think this is the end for Sheeta. Also, I'm not 100% sure Sheeta doesn't just want to go back to stardom. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's also out there. That could definitely be it, too. All right, so let's get these championship matches. And uh, first, we'll go with the end of the uh, the AW World Championship Eliminator Tournament. Uh, Hangman Adam Page, Kenny Omega. I think Kenny's going to win, and he's going to go full heel in some direction. Um, uh, and I think that he's going to go against whoever wins between Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Um, but yeah, I don't think Page is going to lose because he can't beat Kenny. I think something's going to happen in some regard. Maybe a low blow while the referee's not paying attention or knockdown or something, and Kenny's going to get the win over Page and just show his true colors. That's my prediction. What do you think, Chris? I have Adam Page winning here. You're going down. I I have Adam Page winning here. I don't know why, but that's, that's my guess. I think your scenario makes more sense, but I'm holding out hope that they're going to give one sympathetic baby face a win on this pay-per-view. That's a good point. There's not a lot of that. <laughs> uh, well, all right. So um, how about Cody Rhodes with Arn Anderson in his corner for the TNT AEW championship going against Darby Allen. I actually, I think there is a good chance that Darby Allen's going to win. I don't know what will cause that or if it will just be him straight up beating Cody finally. But I think Darby's going to beat him and win the AEW TNT championship. I don't know. Could be wrong. What do I'm you on the, I'm on the same page as you. I, Cody needs something else to do other than hold that title. So I think Darby might be a good person to put it on, even if it's just in the, in the meantime. Uh, so I could see Darby winning. He needs to win here because he already lost to Moxley for the title. And his win-loss record is not to the same extent of someone like a Sean Spears, obviously. So it would make sense with him winning this title and then having to defend against people like Sean Spears and other people they're bringing up through the ranks. And also they're trying to put over new talent. And I don't think it hurts Cody at all, honestly. No. I do not either. All right, so we have the tag team um, championship, AEW tag team championship, I should say, on the line. Champions FTR going against the Young Bucks. Uh, and if the Young Bucks lose, they will never challenge for the AEW Tag Team Championships again. Clay Blanchard is banned from ringside. Um, that was actually, I forgot about that. That was actually something that just came out today that uh, AEW announced. So Tully is banned from ringside. The thing is, I don't know why the Young Bucks would do the stipulation if they're not going to win. There's a chance this could go to a draw, I guess, and that's a way that even though technically the champions retain, Matt and Nick can still go for the titles again. 
But I feel like Matt and Nick have to win. I just don't know why they would have put that stipulation. It's stupid. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. Uh, but with Tully not being there, it makes me think that maybe uh, Arn might join them later on and help them out or something. There could be something that causes FTR to win. But, God, with the Young Bucks losing, that it doesn't make any sense. Young Bucks. I'm going to have to go to the Young Bucks. I don't know how the fuck they get themselves out of this. I think it's the Young Bucks, and they just win clean, especially if Tully's not going to be there. I thought Tully might accidentally hit the wrong person or someone with the tag belt. But if he's banned from ringside, which that doesn't matter in AEW anyways, because the ref is always completely fucking oblivious, just like in any wrestling. But <laughs> and, and, and they've already teased that Tully knows how to dress up as other people recently like what was he a timekeeper with a luchador mask on a couple weeks ago he's smart uh yeah so i i I think the young bucks are going to win and uh they're gonna have to forfeit the titles just because like matt jackson's legitimately hurt and that'll set up another tag tournament like we had last year which is not a bad thing but they'll at least have their win over ftr and it should be a good match. I, like I said, I think it'll be more like the Golden Lovers versus uh, the Young Bucks than a typical Young Bucks match, which is not what people are going to want from this FTR match, but that's probably what's going to happen. You're going to get some actual wrestling psychology in this thing. Maybe people will hold the tag ropes. Who knows? Baffling. Whoa. All right. Well, the last match. Moxley, Kingston, I quit match, AEW World Championship. I feel crazy for saying this. I'm going Eddie Kingston. I don't have anything besides that. I think it's going to be a long fucking fought-out battle. Both guys will be bloody as shit. I'm hoping that they don't bring out every goddamn tool from Home Depot. But I feel like Kingston's going to win. And I think that it will just be like a wow. Like, I can't believe they did that in a good way. What do you think? I think one way to do it is if Moxley just quits because he's not going to kill his friend, which they alluded to. So you could do that, have both of them be severely injured, have the title in disarray. That might be a good way to handle it. I don't know they're going that route. No rumors or anything like that. But based on the fact that you're going to have to kill me, seems like there's going to be a weird finish in this. And it could just be that Moxley digs down deep and just swallows his pride, even though he's beating this man to death, and goes, you know what, I quit. This title doesn't mean that much to me. Which makes him very much a a dumb baby face, but sympathetic. Uh, I think Eddie Kingston's going to win. If not, you're going to have to have Moxley say I quit, or you're going to have to do a finish where you're going to have to do the WWE finish they just did. Which is the only problem with knowing what each other's matches are, because WWE just did this with Jey Uso, right? Yep. <laughs> so, to me, neither of these guys are going to quit. So you're going to have to pull some kind of weird finish. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's not the wrong time to put the belt on Kingston. I think he's on fire, and I think you know it's not going to hurt Moxley. Here's a crazy-ass theory that probably is not going to happen, but I'm just throwing this out there. So, for the Royal Rumble at All Out, or whatever the hell they call it, their little battle royal thing, 
Um, the last person was actually not supposed to be Matt Seidel. He was actually supposed to be in it, but it was actually supposed to be Nick Gage. And I forgot if it was Tony or someone was explaining this in an interview recently that I listened to. Um, that Nick Gage is supposed to be that person. I'm just saying, talk about CZW. You talk about someone that knows both of those guys. What if Nick Gage comes out and helps Eddie Kingston beat John Moxley for the title? Hmm? It's possible, but I mean, he has a whole slew of guys. I'm, I'm actually assuming that he's going to tell them to get back because he wants to fight this man for real. Because I think they're trying to be, build Eddie Kingston more like a more, and I hate to use Terry Funk because we use Terry Funk so much, but just like the guy that will not go down. Right? Yeah. And based on the fact that no one attacked Moxley after that promo and the way he ran down Kingston, it makes me think that Eddie Kingston is going to just be taking this punishment, regardless of what it is, to the point where you almost feel bad for him, like a Tommy Dreamer taking the kendo stick from Sandman. That's how I would book it, but I could be wrong. Who, who knows? You could see Nick Gage. That would be crazy. Because that means they they're gonna have to sign Nick Gage to a contract, but uh, and that and that's nothing against Nick Gage. Just, that just seems kind of unlikely to me. He almost killed David Arquette two years ago. Um. <laughs> he tried to kill he tried to kill Brian Alvarez. <laughs> um, yeah. If in this scenario, I would basically be saying like he might, you know. Uh, What's his name? Eddie Kingston might be telling his troops to stand back, but Gage, maybe this is actually after Moxley caused him the match by coming out and, you know, beating the living hell out of him. Uh, not really trying to help Eddie, but just trying to fuck over Mox. But if they were planning on doing anything with that, he might have just been someone that was supposed to be in that battle royal. I know it didn't happen because uh, something got bad scheduling and he had something that he was committed to, so Tony took him out of it, but. I can't believe that was supposed to be the secret big guy. Uh, and if that happened, Matt Seidel would have never slipped off that fucking top rope. Thanks, Nick. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that Nick Gage would have murdered everyone in the ring. Stabbed uh, him with a sickle. Uh, Nick, Nick, Nick is, a, is a pretty safe wrestler overall. I mean, you know, he almost killed David Arquette, but he also threw David Arquette through like 40 light tubes. There's no way to be safe on that. That's just, you might die. <laughs> you know what I'm Sorry. saying? Like, <laughs> Nick Gage just went through 40 light tubes. Like, <laughs> that's uh, that's one of those things where it's, I, I've watched this documentary, by the way, and they really do paint Nick Gage in kind of not the best light. But from everything I've heard, Nick Gage is not the worst person of all time. And definitely not knows how to wrestle at least a, a little bit. He wouldn't have fell ass over tea kettle in the <laughs> battle Royal because like people would have been like, why is Nick Gage on the top row? <laughs> why is Nick Gage in here? Did you sign up for this? I didn't sign up for this. Oh, that's sort of funny, but uh. you know, that wouldn't be the worst outcome. I do think that it's going to be something to show the humanity inside of Moxley where he's just like, I am going to have to kill this guy. And that'll be, that'll be a, I love it or hate it ending. The only other thing I could think is that all of Kingston's group decides they're going to help him, 
which just is doesn't play into what he's done with this character so far. I agree, man. All right, well, let's get into NXT so we can get the hell out of here. We had an opening match with Ember Moon, Dakota Kai. Um, they kind of, you know, they've been building this for the last couple of weeks. And I kind of wish I would have seen this built to a pay-per-view, but this is how we started it. I don't know if it's going to end due to what happened at the end of it. But I will say, I mean, Dakota Kai was acting heelish at the beginning. And she kind of, like, you know, got Ember a couple times. But Ember was dominating her. Uh, I, I noticed through this that she has some of the best punches out of some of the wrestlers, uh, female or male, in fucking wrestling. She throws a great punch. But... She, you know, just running strikes and just just berating Dakota Kai and just take you know just overwhelming her. It would basically come to her trying to go for her uh, her move, the Eclipse off the top ropes. Raquel Gonzalez would jump on the apron, get the uh, you know referee distracted enough for Dakota Kai to come and uh, kick her in the face and give her a finisher um, off the like uh, off the top ropes, and uh, you know Dakota Kai won. Um, I liked the match. I thought it was a really good opener. They beat the living hell out of each other. I thought Ember looked great in this, especially her strikes. And I understand that there's interference, stuff like that, but I don't know if I would have Ember Moon lose this quickly into her return. Um, I think she's had two matches besides this. Singles match she won, tag match she won. But I just don't think, I don't know, you could have done something else. Like, I know I don't like fuck finishes, and I would complain if, like, Raquel got a DQ for Dakota Kai to save her or something like that, but I don't know. I, I don't know why Ember Moon took a loss this quickly into her return, but I did like this match between both ladies. They're badasses, and uh, I do appreciate that. Um, was that strong words? Ember Moon has one of the best working punches in wrestling? No, it's it, it was really, really good. I, I don't know if it's one of the best, but it, it's pretty fucking good. I mean, Booker T would appreciate that as her trainer. I'm sure somewhere Booker's like Shucky Ducky, y'all. Um, <laughs> Shucky Ducky, quack, quack. <laughs> uh, but no, nah, all, all joking aside, this was a good match. I was disappointed in the finish. I don't understand why you have Ember Moon lose. That's a very WWE thing to do. That's that's one of the worries about NXT and where it's been going this year is they are tending to have some things on the main roster that I don't like bleed into their show, which this would be one of them. Why is Ember Moon losing here? She's more over than Dakota Kai. I like Dakota Kai, but I mean, Ember Moon just made her big comeback. She's a former NXT champion. You would expect her to go on a run or at least a DQ finish, like you were saying. So I agree with you 100% on this. But the in-ring work stuff was fucking good. Wouldn't expect anything less. And also Ember Moon seems like she is back in full ring shape versus the very first tag match we saw her in. So that's yep. also really good. She looked great here. And, and Dakota Kai looked good, too. I, I, this is not hatred towards Dakota Kai. It's just putting those two on the same level and having Ember Moon take a loss directly after having this huge comeback that you built up for weeks seems weird. I agree. Uh, I completely agree. All right, so we go backstage, and Cameron Grimes and uh, is getting interviewed by Sarah Schreiber. He's acting all, like, fidgety and weird, like a little meth head throughout this whole thing. It might have actually been meth. No one tested him for that. William Regal didn't think about it. But... um. 
So Cameron Grimes is all weird about the fucking match from last week, and Sarah's like, you lost to Dexter Loomis, and he's the person of reason, Cameron Grimes, saying, technically there's no referee, so there was no loss. Uh, but, you know, this inevitably they would be talking about his match with Kushida, and Grimes would get freaked out because the referee comes and tells him that his match is next, and this was the same referee dressed up as a zombie in the match that happened the week prior. Uh, then we had an awesome, uh, when we came back from commercial break, uh, an awesome interview with Shotzi Blackheart and McKenzie. And Shotzi basically said that she picked her opponent, Tony Storm, tonight because, you know, William Regal gave her an option, non-title, to be able to go against any of the female competitors for hosting it. And she said that she respected Tony Storm and she thinks she's one of the best and she wants to test her limits, basically. And, you know, afterwards, she did her whole thing where she turned the camera and dresses Storm and welcomes her to the ball pit. You know, oh, 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 that whole thing. So I love Shotzi. I think she's fucking energy, just badassness, just awesome. Fucking horror vixen. Uh, so, yeah, Cameron Grimes is kind of funny. Definitely love the one with Shotzi, with Mackenzie. What did you think, Chris? Like the Shotzi interview a little bit of the stuff that happened later on i wasn't the biggest fan of involving shotzi i like the tony storm shotzi match and the fact that she chose her as an opponent i think that's pretty cool uh the cameron Grimes shit i don't care about because they're building it off a match i didn't care about right so it's uh it would be really weird for me to be like no i thought the cameron Grimes stuff was good no it it's still bad the only the only caveat was I knew he was going to get killed by Kushida. <laughs> that was that was pretty much it. I was like, well, he's going against Kushida, so you know he's going to die later. That's fine. And speaking of which, that's exactly what happened next. Kushida went against Cameron Grimes. These guys had like three commercial breaks, I think, two. So it was a long match. Um, Cameron Kushida, both of them can work. Kushida is awesome at offense. I was noting that I said to myself, the way he does those ambar or ambars, god damn it, those arm bars, and just puts them directly in submission reminds me so much of Ricky Steamboat. I know that's one of his favorite uh, American wrestlers uh, growing up that I heard about in an interview with him. So just a little bit of Steamboat. Definitely there's a little bit of that in Kushida. I've always said that because both of them are technically savvy and also great uh, off the top ropes, but... He's fucking awesome. This ferocity that he's showing nowadays is great. And, you know, Cameron Grimes would come up and come back a little bit. And then, no, nothing would happen. Well, we would have, uh, you know, uh, the referee get knocked down. And the second referee came out. But it was the guy who played the zombie referee previously. Grimes terrified. Um this leads to Kushida getting his hoverboard lock very easily then on Grimes and Kushida winning. So I guess they're still trying to quote unquote protect Grimes in the ending of this. But I mean, Kushida dominated him. But Grimes is good at selling. Um, I'll give him that. And uh, Kushida just proves to me that he is a awesome babyface with a very aggressive side to him within professional wrestling and. Uh, it's the reason why I've always liked watching him since I started watching wrestling with him. So what do you think, Chris? If you're telling me this guy is a zombie, Kushida should have ripped his arm off. <laughs> like you should have had a fake arm, 
or something because she'd have ripped off. He should have also killed this referee, killed this geek, Cameron Grimes. Uh, Cam- yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter because she'd have got a good win, but putting him in here with this nerd after last week, he was just, I dated it. So other than seeing like a pretty decent match, but with a toss back to Halloween Havoc, if that's just a one-off and we're going to forget it after a week, fine. But to try to play this thing into a storyline is just disgusting. It's gross. Whatever. I mean, we're all wanting just Kushida versus Ciampa anyways. And I think we're going to get to it. Um, all right, so we had a video package with Tony Storm commenting on the match with Shotzi Blackheart and that she's honored that she picked her, but she picked the wrong woman. Uh, we had another one going over, uh, you know, building to Rhea Ripley going against Io Shirai for the NXT champion chip. And then we had our match with Drake, Drake Maverick and Killian Dane going against Everize. Uh, this is actually a good tag match. They were beating the living. I mean, this was a soulless match, but the match itself was good. And, um, you know, this went on more than one commercial. I'm like, this is still fucking going on. Well, there's a reason for it. It's a no contest because we see a camera backstage showing the fact that Pat McAfee and the, uh, you know, uh, new uh, group with him, Dunn, Lorkin, and Birch, all fucking come there in their car, get dropped off, and go into the Capitol One or the Capitol Center and beat the living hell out of Dane and Drake. Um, and then, you know, we have Pat McAfee, and once again, just cutting a fucking awesome promo, uh, you know, saying that they basically should, you know, just just take in the Undisputed Era for how great they are and how they have their banner, and now, because of where they are, they're going to put their banner... And put it up in the arena so everyone could see it. And just start going over the accolades and showing photos. Like, this is a fucking uh, a school, like, you know, slideshow of, of, of importance for them. And then they decide to start breaking them down and, and talking shit about them. And uh, they burn the, the Undisputed Era banner uh, in a trash can. And, uh, yeah, Pat McAfee just exclaims that they are the best. He lets both. I love how Oni Lorcan never talks. That doesn't matter. Like Birch had a little bit of promo time. Dunn had a little bit of promo time. Uh, we all know this is leading to a war games match between both groups. But I love also how they painted the undisputed era like they've been baby faces the whole entire time because they haven't. You know, since they came on, they were heels. They were just kind of cool heels. But you know, Adam Cole has definitely run us down many a times. But still, the, what they're doing, I think that Pat McAfee is awesome on the mic. I'll say it. I don't care if this is the second time he's come back. He's one of the best heels in professional wrestling right now. Uh, I think that he's great. I, I think that he's a natural. And I think his group, he brings a lot of value to Orny Lorcan and Danny Birch. I think Pete Dunn's kind of checked out. That's at least what I get. Either that or he's that, trying to act really cool about it. But I could feel like he's just ready to just be back by himself after this healer baby face. But um, either way, I like what they're building to, and I am excited that we're probably going to have Regal come out, I'm assuming next week or the week after, to announce that we'll have War Games 
you know, in the future between the two teams. But um, that happens in November, Chris. What do you think? What match did they interfere? The Shotzi match? No, the uh, the Killian Dane and uh, Drake Maverick against Eberize match. Yes, okay, that's what it was. I God, I have my notes mixed up. All right, I was like, what? What? When did the little tank thing happen? And then I was like, oh yeah, that's later. All right, um, Pat McCaff, Pat McAfee. I can't. I, I don't know why I can't pronounce his last name. I want to call Mac- him McCaff. <laughs> like throw an A in there, Mac Affee. Mac Affy. Pat McAfee. Someone got on me on Twitter. It's like, pronounce this guy's name right. And I was like, maybe it's my new gimmick. I don't know. Um, <laughs> now, it, I thought this was really, really good as far as building that team up. And it builds to war games. And he had another solid promo. Pete Dunn looking tanner than everyone in the room. Motherfucker just laying on the bronzer, apparently, on his time off in the UK. Um, no, it should be good. Should be good. I don't remember anything from the tag match. So I know that Killian Dane gets murdered, but I don't know if that's in the same time sink. Doesn't he get a car door slammed on his head? Did that happen during this? A little bit later, he attacks them. I mean, we can talk about that now, so we don't have to talk about it later. But yeah, they're out having an interview about the leave. Killian Dane, Drake Maverick try to. Um, you know, attack him again. They get the better of him, and they take Killian Dane and slam the door on his head. Yeah, good heel stuff. Uh, yeah, war game should be fun. I don't know why, <laughs> unless they're gonna throw three groups in there. We're gonna get like Fandango, Killian Dane, and Drake Maverick as a comedic spot in the oh, middle of the world. <laughs> hey, all those guys can work though. So, <laughs> could be worse. Good point. That might not be the worst thing of all time, especially if they do three rings instead of two or something. So we had next a segment that I guess I thankfully missed, but we'll have to go over it anyways. Um, the NXT uh, North American Champion Johnny Gargano is sitting at a kitchen table at home. The title belt is on the table. Gargano says he heard a rumor about him that he hates wheels. That it's not true, as Gorgano loves wheels, as in reference to the spin the wheel, make a deal gimmick that he wrestled under Halloween Havoc to defeat Damian Priest in the Devil's Playground match. Gorgano spins the wheel on the board. Uh, the other thing he likes just as much as wheels is making history. He points at the title and comments on becoming the first ever two-time North American champion, and he's a triple crown winner. Gargano says he is a lover of wheels and a maker of history. I'm a lover of wheels and a maker of history. He mentions that he will defend the NXT North American title next week and put an end to naysayers. Gargano's phone rings, and he answers it with a what. We see a person on the other end, and they're wearing the scream mask like the mystery person at Halloween Havoc. They creepily tell Gargano that they are in his house. Gargano says he knows you're sitting uh, beside me. We now see the person in the screen mask sitting at the kitchen table with Gargano. He says the person is holding everything up. They do an attempt at some comedy. The person in the screen mask spins the green, the game board wheel, and Gargano laughs, saying the mystery person sucks at this. Gargano takes a spin and dances about how good he is holding the title over his head. He puts the title back on the table and walks off, bragging about how good he is. 
Um, I am not going to take back my statement and say, uh, I don't know why I'm doing that like that. Um, that Johnny Gargano is not a good person to have this title to be able to put on good matches and build up the mid card basically. But, uh, I didn't see a segment, but if I saw it, I probably would have been mad. So I'll just put it that way. What'd you think, Chris? Well, he basically becomes a stalwart for the title until whoever unmasks and decides to attack him. So we know the title is just going to sit there and we're going to have to see more ghost face or scream mask guy. I hope it's Billy Graham. (laughs) Superstar. (laughs) I, I, you know, I hope it's Greg Valentine. (laughs) He needs more screen time after him dressing like a member of uh, 1990s death row on the AW show. <laughs> Why not? It's actually Michael P.S. Hayes. Let's be honest. It's got to be P.S. Hayes. <laughs> it's got to be Hayes. <laughs> I think all of my jokes pretty much sum up how I felt about this segment. <laughs> so you loved it. Yeah, dude. We need more of this every week on NXT. Well, what we really need, because I knew that was sarcasm, by the way, um, is more Shotzi Blackheart versus Tony Storm, because that's exactly what happened next. And these ladies beat the living hell out of each other. Um, I like both of them a lot. I've watched both of their careers flourish throughout the last couple of years. You know, you have Tony Storm, who won uh, the UK tournament, obviously. She's a two-time UK women's champion. Uh, she's definitely someone that should have won the, the uh, United States NXT Women's Champion. Uh, and then you have Shotzi, who built herself so much and evolved and came over here. And I mean, they're just, they're two kick-ass fucking women, man. And they definitely bring it. Um, but at the end, so we would have Storm uh, keeps the German uh, hold lock, but Shotzi fights her off with back elbows. Shotzi tries to counter. But Storm hits another German suplex. Shotzi kicks out just in time. Storm tries for the Storm Driver in the middle of the ring, but it's blocked. Blackheart drops Storm with a Sado suplex for a close two count after they both go down. Storm comes right back and levels Shotzi for a close pin attempt. Storm goes to the apron to go to the top, but Shotzi knocks her back to the apron. They trade shots from the apron and in-ring area. Shotzi slaps and strikes Storm, then kicks her. Shotzi looks to capitalize and tries a modified DDT to the apron, but barely connects. They still land hard out on the floor after Storm hits the edge of the apron face first. The referee counts while they're both down. Shotzi breaks it at eight. Cancel Ray suddenly appears on the big screen, getting Shotzi's attention. Candace is with Shotzi's missing mini tank, saying someone forgot this, but no worries. Loray will take good care of it. Storm comes from behind and drops Blackheart, holding it for the pin and the win. Tony Storm. After the match, Loray appears on the big screen, and she basically starts talking shit about the tank and then runs it over with a... It wasn't, it wasn't a fucking um, monster truck, but it was a truck on you know, some big-ass wheels and shit. And fucking just completely drags it until it goes underneath it. And Tony Storm's helping Shotzi. Shotzi sells this like she's watching one of her fucking children, you know, uh, just 
get destroyed or something like that. Like this is so much to her. So good spell job. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't like the ending. So now we're going Shotzi Blackheart versus Candice LeRae. Shotzi got involved in her match. She blames her for what happened with the Scream Girl not being able to screw over Yoshirai. So they, they'll have a good match. Um, but I don't know. I, to an extent, I wish that Tony Storm, it didn't look like, I guess she wasn't, she didn't see on the screen the distraction, but she played it off like she wasn't paying attention to that and just got the win. But not very baby face of her. I'll say that. Uh, what'd you think, Chris? So, has anyone ever no soul as hard as this fucking tank did for this Humvee? God, that thing would knock it destroyed. <laughs> did this Humvee go into business for itself, Dane? <laughs> I think so. Uh, I just don't understand why she was so distraught. I know they tried to tie it in at the very beginning of the match, which I thought was weird. And I think Brian Alvarez talked about this too. So people that are going to hit me on Twitter, like, trust me, I realize this, but I have the same thoughts. She's tank girl, uh, damn it. She loves that tank. But I think the reason that she loves that tank is it's supposed to be personal to her. Like, it represent, like I think they said that it represents someone in her family that's in the military or something of that nature. They tried to give it like an extra layer and it just wasn't thrown on as hard as it should have been. Uh, and that's why she was selling it as hard as she did. But it was a weird finish. And I guess Tony Storm got a win, but like Candice LeRae versus Shotzi Blackheart and whoever the person in the scream mask is, which we kind of know who it is, right? Who who did we have pegged for that? I think it's Indy Hartwell is the one helping Candace, and I think Austin Theory is the one helping Johnny Gargano. If not, it's just Indy Hartwell for both of them. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that you could have just had a clean finish or I don't know, whatever. This was fine. I, I'll wait and see how it pays off because they could do a very big heartfelt story about Shotzi's tank next week. I mean, they did a good job about the helmet when the helmet got stolen, right? Which was like a shoot <laughs> with the helmet getting stolen with their car, all of her ring gear. Uh, so maybe they'll tell us a little bit more, but it was just really weird for her to be so heartbroken over not losing a title as a, a profession or just losing a little roller tank. Uh, I don't know. Check out Brian. I'm not going to say that this is just my opinion because... Wrestling Observer Live also hit on this with Brian Alvarez. I'm not going to crap on this as hard as he did because I didn't think it was that bad. But uh, I had this. I had similar thoughts of, wow, it's really depressed about that tank. It's not like wow. they ran over Ice T, you know, if we're going tank girl. <laughs> do you think, so, who do you think would have responded sad. worse, though? Her with the tank, or if Candice Ray would have hit the arcade unit for Rusev and Kip Sabian? Well, I mean, at least she showed emotion. We just heard that Kip Sabian and Miro were upset. <laughs> <laughs> we're upset about the multi-cade we bought for $600 when we're 
like we make a hundred thousand dollars or plus a year. Like shut the I don't care about your Twitch stream, bros. <laughs> that's that's my actual answer is I don't care about their Twitch streams. I agree. All right. Well, we had a bunch of segments. Let's throw, throw these all in here, and then we'll get to the main event. Um, so we have Legado del Fantasma arriving. They're kind of question about, you know, Escobar's recent tactics. Jake Atlas comes with a tie and iron and attacks Mendoza because he's with Raul Mendoza and Santos. Uh, and, uh, Santos is with Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde. And so then Jake Atlas beats the living hell out of him. They're, they talk trash, and then Atlas, uh, you know, threatens them with the tire iron until they run away. Uh, then we had a Thatch's Thatch can training where Th- Timothy Thatcher showing his student, Akeem, and Anthony Green, one of the new prospects over at NXT, attacks him, the guy that was in the other one beforehand. We have Zia Lee backstage talking to Mackenzie Mitchell and William Regal. Uh, General Manager Regal, you know, apparently Zia Lee needs a win. Um, tries to explain a little bit about her connection and how this is reflecting bad upon her. Uh, they don't need to go in this direction. So Raquel Gonzalez is going to fight her next week. So that's going to be good and definitely a win. Um, and then Rhea Ripley talks a little bit about Io Shirai in a video package and how she's going to win back that title. Uh, and we find out that Brazongo's rematch is going to be next week against Oni Lorchin and Danny Birch, plus the NXT North American champion Gargano. Johnny Gargano will put his title on the line. If you need me to repeat any of these or you forget any of them, let me know. What do you think about some of these segments leading up to the main event? So Gargano is fighting a geek next week. Probably. Right. Okay. And Brazingo is going to lose. Yep. Which I would assume builds up to more people into war games. Like I said earlier, I think you might get Brazingo, Killian Dane, and Drake Maverick as a team. Um, oh, God, what else am I forgetting on this? There was one uh, more thing that you mentioned. What do you think about Rhea Ripley's words to Io Shirai? Are you excited about that match? Do you think Ripley's going to take that title off of Io? I think it's time for her to take the title, but I don't know that they're going to move EO up to the main roster, so they may just keep it on her. It's it's just so weird because they don't know what to do with EO. She's like a stopgap right now. Uh, to the point where it might make more sense if Rhea loses and then moves up to the main title picture and then beats someone like Asuka. And then you can bring EO up later. But... I, honestly, that one's a toss-up to me because I think they're both like the EO's been a great champion. Yeah, she's not had bad matches or anything. There's not bad promos or anything or stories that have really came out of that. It's just how hard do you want to push push Rhea, who I think is probably the bigger star of the two. I mean, it's very few and far between. As great as EO is in the ring, she doesn't have that same. Sinsuke Nakamura quality that that like Asuka has or like Carrie Zane has where they almost become a character in their cells without cutting promos. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. All right. Well, let's talk about this main event, man. Um, Tomas Ciampa, Velveteen Dream. These guys have already had great matches in the past. I thought they had a 
pretty fucking hard-hitting match. I mean, Velveteen Dream, for all of his faults that we've talked about immensely, he's been putting on some damn good matches recently. Um, but Ciampa obviously was going to get be the one to win this match. Well, I think it was obvious, at least. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so we had back and forth towards the end. Dream counters the fairy tale ending for another two count after dropping uh, Ciampa down. Ciampa avoids the Dream Valley driver, and Ciampa boots him in the face. Dream ends up knocking Ciampa off the apron with strikes. Dream flies out and levels Ciampa with another big shot at ringside. Dream brings it back in, but Ciampa fights him off. Dream suplexes Champa over the top rope, and they both go crashing out to the floor. Uh, they both hit the apron with their heads on the rough uh, tumble of the mat. Dream ends up rocking Champa with a kick. Dream rolls Champa in and runs over to get a chair. He brings it in, but the referee is distracted while trying to get the chair uh, back out of the ring. Dream flies off the top rope, but Champa catches him. On the way down with a big knee to the face, Champa rolls Dream up, but just rolls Dream into a position on the second rope for the draping DDT, the Willow's Bell. Champa nails the Willow's Bell and goes right into the fairy tale ending in the middle of the ring for the pin to win. And after the match, music hits as Champa sits up and gets cheers from the crowd. Dream is still down. We go to replays. Champa stares out at the crowd in the Capitol Wrestling Center. As Dream tries to recover, a loud NXT chant continues while Champa stands tall and NXT goes off air. I love how Champa was trying to sell being a, a, a heel when he first came back. I just don't think that's working. I know that he's so tremendous. When he came back first as a Sicilian psychopath, everyone wanted to hate him. But I feel like he's had that. I mean, it's kind of hard. Don't take this comparison so on the nose, but like. It was kind of impossible for Steve Austin to be a fucking heel. It's impossible for certain people, even if they're heels at the beginning of their run, or they act heelish even throughout the duration of time as being a babyface, they're such badasses, you don't want to fucking, you don't want to root against them. You want to see them fuck up some people and just be a badass. So um, I think that's Ciampa, his original intention, and probably Triple H and William Regal, that's what they wanted him to do. But it just seems like he just makes sense to be one of the top stars period um so i like this direction i like this match dream uh i don't know what the hell's going on with him but i'm not really worried about at this point so there's that too but uh i don't know once again i don't know if i would have ended this match on this it just like it kind of just it was a match and then it was over there should have been something maybe the pat mcafee stuff to end this i'm not saying i need a promo or like a big schmage ending or anything like that but it just kind of seemed to end flat. I thought both shows were good. I thought the wrestling was good. But overall, I thought they were just kind of like episodes that were there. You know, they're really good. They're better than what we're going to get from WWE, especially on Mondays. Uh, but they were just kind of there. And honestly, they were going against a lot of coverage for the election. So maybe it's good that there wasn't a lot of craziness that they try to throw in. So there's that. But I like this match. Like I said, what did you think, Chris, on the main event with Ciampa and Velveteen Dream? I thought it was a good match, but Ciampa took 90% of it. And if you're you're telling us that Velveteen Dream is the heel, then Ciampa is the babyface here. Especially with the fact that Velveteen is trying to hit him with the cast repeatedly. 
uh, over the past few weeks. So to me, they booked Ciampa as a babyface in this match, and they had the right person win right now. I thought it was good for what they were doing, but it was mostly Velveteen Dream selling. And I don't know what they're doing with Velveteen Dream. If they're moving him down the card to open up that heavyweight title division, I'm assuming Kushida, Ciampa, they're going to be there at the top and and maybe a couple others. But to, to me, that's what it seemed like. I thought it was a good match, though. No complaints. And Ciampa looks incredible, as he does. So it was a, to me, this wasn't a bad way to end the show. Um I don't know what else they would have done here based on the card that they had. That's that's a good point. You know, I was thinking, this is a weird train of thought, but I feel like Champa, Pack, and Eric Young all have a very similar flavor to them, if that makes sense. Being that they're able to get themselves over and are incredible in-ring workers no matter where they go. The psychopath, obviously, there's that too. Uh, More with Neville or Pac and and Ciampa. Eric Young works really well as a babyface. I think he actually works better as a babyface than he does a heel. I think he's a good heel. I'm just talking about currently how he's displayed in Impact. He's a crazy-ass fucking heel that you know, is ruthless and tries to kill you and all that. Yeah, and now he has Sammy Callahan in his back pocket, apparently, based on stuff I've seen from Impact, which makes that a very formidable force. (laughs) Good Trio just came out in Impact. Not trying to throw that in there, but uh, Ken Shamrock, Sammy Callahan, Eric Young, and a heel little alliance, if you will. For, For now. (laughs) <laughs> at least. For now, for now, for now, for now. But that's an interesting storyline. I could see that. I could see. I could definitely see that. They wasted Eric Young in. in I don't want to say in NXT because I thought they did a pretty good job with the group they put him with. His entire job was getting a lot of other people over, which he did. Um, and they, they didn't def- do anything with any of them besides Nikki Cross, kind of. <laughs> the kind of. So that that sucks for him. But yay. Look, he's back. He's back where he belongs in Impact. He's probably going to hold the title before the end of the year. So <laughs> there's that. He just had it. So yeah, I, I would, I would, I wouldn't doubt that if he gets it back too. Um, so let's go over ratings and get the hell out of here. So last week we had, uh, just so you guys know the difference, we had um, Dynamite at seven hundred eighty-one thousand. We had NXT Halloween Havoc at 876,000. Their first time beating him in a long time, but that did happen probably because of the pay-per-view name uh, concept. But this week, and I kind of sense that this is going to be low because of, like I said, coverage for the election is rampant. You know, this is the night after uh, that happened. So we had Dynamite at 700 and, or 717,000 views on TNT and NXT with 610. So that's a lot. They went down 876 to 610,000. Uh, but AEW ranked 56 on cable and uh, NXT was 68. And uh, AEW ranked 67 in viewership while NXT was 72. So there you go. 
Chris, we go over these numbers. These ones are really low. We thought they were going to be low due to presidential election coverage. And they were. And, uh, yeah. That's all we got. What do you got? Yeah, nothing outside of what you just said. I mean, the 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 thought process would be they would be low because the election was not finished. And it was not going to be finished by Wednesday. Uh, I think they did surprisingly well, honestly. I assume they'd be lower. We'll see if if SmackDown gets crapped on if these counts continue through to Friday. Fake news. Well. <laughs> anyways, that's the show. Thank you guys for listening. That is our review of NXT AEW Dynamite and also giving our predictions for Full Gear this Saturday. Uh, we're going to have another show that we're going to record on Saturday that should be out by Sunday of this week or Monday where we review Raw and SmackDown and go over some news items. So I can't wait to talk to you guys about that. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Go to our website with our parent you know, organization, geekvibesnation.com that's geekvibesnation.com there you'll find different you know whether it be reviews or news articles from our various writers you'll also find different audio platforms for to listen to us you can also just search google for wrestling geeks alliance uh you'll find us on stitcher spotify itunes sometimes we put our stuff audio only on youtube all different audio platforms to you for you to listen to free so if you want to keep up with wrestling lines we'd really appreciate that keep the lights on for us and also go to all social media on facebook twitter and instagram geek vibes nation geek vibes nation join the conversation um yeah and hit us up um i am at danelves42 on face or no on twitter i should say and danelves on facebook so if you guys want to talk about wrestling or anything in general, either go to the Geek Vibes Facebook page or message me or hit me up on Twitter. We'll have a little bit of conversating. Just don't be a dick or I will. You know, shit happens. Uh, but, you know, of course, I could not do this by myself. Thank you so much, Christopher, for being with me tonight and always. And say goodbye to all the lovely people out there. Thank you guys so much for listening to us each week and for new listeners thank you for tuning in this week uh if you want to talk to me on twitter if there's something i said that offended you you can hit me at, at chris r Patton. that's my twitter handle that's the easiest way to reach me check out skates to throats that's the hockey podcast if you're an nhl fan not a lot going on right now but we have content up there um, also did the horror show like i said which dane threw out on geekvibesnation.com check those out um lots lots of content actually <laughs> way too much for me to uh recap but yeah if you want to talk to me like i said hit me that chris r Patton on twitter and uh keep watching wrestling keep loving wrestling if something disappoints you go back to your childhood reach deep find something you really care about watch that and then come back so thanks everyone for listening and i'll pass this back today all right guys you have a wonderful evening and you have a good time. Have a good time. Don't listen to fake news. Just kidding. But seriously, 
try to get along with each other out there. Try to, you know, just take your friend that might be frazzled for whatever fucking reason and just be like, hey, man, quit being a bitch and just suck it up. But either way, I hope you guys have a wonderful evening. Let the geek vibes be with you. And peace out. Peace out, I should say. 